think a course of antibiotics should clear that up within about a week. Well, yes, you see, I'm very sensitive, Doctor. I have to be very careful what I put in my mouth. <laughs> right. How's your mother, Derek? Are you still living at home? She's very well, thank you, Doctor, and yes, I'm still there. Couldn't leave her on her own, not at her age, dear. Uh, oh, Derek, um, I've saved you one of these leaflets. The, um, the surgery's starting a new gay men's health clinic on the first Monday of every month. I don't know if that's something that would interest you. I beg pardon? It's a new health clinic on Mondays. Yes, I heard that bit. For gay men. I beg your pardon. How very day. <laughs> Never been so insulted. Derek, everything said here is completely confidential. What on earth are you insinuating? I'm, I'm sorry, Derek. I, I didn't mean to speak out of turn. I, I just always assumed you were gay. Gay, dear? Who dear? Me, dear? No, dear. Just because I live with my mother and haven't found the right girl yet, you assume I take it up the Aris. unreservedly. Well, yes, I think you should. 25 years I've been coming here and then you suddenly come out with this. Well, I find you impertinent. Gay Men's Health Clinic. How very day. <laughs> Derek, you're, um... It's a gentleman's sponge bag. <laughs> come on, Leonard, we're off. You want to keep more of the money you earn. I'm afraid that's very selfish. We shall want to tax that away. You want to own shares in your firm. We can't have that. The state has to own your firm. You want to choose where to send your children to school. That's very divisive. You'll send your child where we tell you. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing. Or they might not choose socialism. Hitler was obsessed with order and cleanliness. He was a very orderly person. He was very sensitive to disgust, you know, because you think, well, the Nazis were afraid of the Jews, you know, because they were other. And that's not right. When Hitler first came to power, he put in a lot of public health initiatives. And so he convinced the German factory owners and so forth to increase the levels of hygiene in the factories. And the insecticide they used was Zyklon. Well, Zyklon, a slightly different formulation, was the gas that was used in the concentration camps. And so Hitler went from cleaning up the rats and the mice in the factories and the insects, and then he went into the mental hospitals and started cleaning up in there, and then, like, it just went... hour go to episodes at tntradio.live now tnt radio news for tnt radio news this is james o'neill airstrikes on the gaza strip killed a hamas weapons maker and several gunmen the israeli military said on wednesday as the terror and ground offensive targeted the terrorist tunnel network beneath the besieged palestinian enclave gaza city the hamas terrorist group's main stronghold in the territory is encircled by israeli forces 
The military said troops have advanced to the heart of the densely populated city, while Hamas says its gunmen have inflicted heavy losses. Witnesses said thousands of people were leaving northern areas and heading south on a road controlled by Israeli tanks on Wednesday during a daily four-hour window proclaimed by Israeli forces for civilians to leave. Calls to Britain's counterterrorism hotline have more than doubled since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, triggering a massive retaliatory strike into the Gaza Strip. The Metropolitan Police said between October 7th and October 25th, the hotline received 1,350 reports, more than twice the number in the same period last year. The number of reports with information which was useful to counterterrorism investigators went up to 200, a fourfold increase. Fox Business correspondent Charlie Gasparino on Tuesday told Fox News host Neil Cavuto that bankers on Wall Street close to the White House are in freakout mode over a second Biden presidential campaign. Wouldn't mind getting behind Nikki Haley. As, as, at least those are the conversations I hear. They're impressed by her foreign policy chops. Uh, but it's at this point, it's like anybody but Trump. And yeah. they don't think that Biden can be Trump. Uh, we put, we, you point out that it is a year from now. A lot can happen right. in a year. And Donald Trump hasn't you know, And that's really a small started. pool of folks, right? I mean, it, oh, yeah. we, we look at Wall Street generally as a Republican bastion. It isn't exclusively that at all. Uh, no, just looking no. at history. But these are significant players who right now are tiring of playing with the concept of a Joe Biden getting reelected, right? Neil, look at it this way. It's a year from now. You're a lot right. could happen in a year. And that's what the president's people are saying. But do you think Joe Biden is going to be more, you know, more mentally fit a year from now than he is today? I mean, that's what they are saying. It's, that's the point. He's only going to get worse. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said his country will have to manage overall security in Gaza for an indefinite period of time after the current war with Hamas ends. Speaking to ABC News for an interview published on Monday, Netanyahu was asked about Israel's long-term plans for the territory should it succeed in dismantling Hamas, suggesting the need for a lengthy deployment. Uh, I think Israel will, for uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says it's what everyone feared. And here's the thing that everybody was talking about, what everybody feared when Israel announced they're going to invade Gaza on the ground. And the big fear was combining this with the carpet bombing of the civilian neighborhoods in Gaza, that the strategy from Israel was to force an ethnic cleansing situation and the genocide threat that's hanging over the people of Gaza. Well, that is the incentive, isn't it? And why is it a land grab? And by this announcement, we can see the Israelis are going to secure it, to take it, to de facto annex it as a, quote, security zone. They've done it in the past with South Lebanon, and it looks like they're going to do it again. Joe Biden saying, no, this isn't a good idea, but he's making this comment with a sort of forked tongue. He's saying on one hand, no, this would be a mistake for the Israelis, but on the other hand, he's saying they need to take out the terrorists. So on one hand, he's condemning it. On the other hand, Biden's endorsing it. And meanwhile, the Israeli defense minister is saying we don't want to be responsible for day-to-day life in Gaza, well, they've just solved that problem. They've destroyed day-to-day -day life in Gaza. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. Oh, really, Patrick? A genocide? Oh, for goodness sake. Honestly, he's really got it in for Israel, hasn't he? He's got it in for the Jews, I think, is our Patrick Henningsen. I wouldn't... Um, I just And he says everyone. This is what everyone feared. Well, absolute rubbish. I mean, in 2005, Israel pulled out of Gaza. 
Okay, 2006, the, the uh, Palestinians so-called, they uh, elected a terrorist organization as their government. And uh, you, you, as we've seen, as Netanyahu says, the, the, um, as he said, um, it's, they've just had rockets fired at them. And then we saw, what was it, 14, over 1,400 people slaughtered in their homes, in their beds, you know, just out living their lives. Israelis slaughtered, and 200, over two, I think it was 240, might have even been more than that, that were uh, taken prisoner, women, children, old people. Uh, taken prisoner and we don't even know how those people are faring only four have been released it's just horrendous and so it was a big mistake to actually move out of the Gaza uh, in 2005 and that was uh, that goes against the Bible really because all of that area belongs to the Israelis belongs to the um, United Kingdoms that's what it was there was never a Palestinian state there's a, but there's been a few uh, Israeli kingdoms United Kingdom of Israel and you just got to go back further in history. You just can't go back 50 years or 70 years or, or even 100 years. Got to go back a bit further than that. All right, it's, um, what do we got to? Six minutes past. I must fix my clock as I'm a minute fast. It says seven up there and going on eight. So it's just gone six past five. Thank you very much for joining me here at the Liberty NZ uh, podcast. No, not podcast. Why do I say that? I suppose I've been doing podcasts for so long. Um, we are actually, if you miss this program in the morning, you can go over to Podbean or any of them for that matter, uh, except iHeart. They don't like me, but um, I'm on pretty much all of them. And um, so you can catch the program uh, if you miss it from um, over at Podbean. Go to Podbean and follow us over there. I think we've got we've only got a couple of couple of uh, followers. <laughs> no, no, we've got a few more than that. Uh, well, sometimes it says we've got 2,000. Then when I go there, it says 2,500. So I have no idea um, how many we've got. Um, but it sort of, it was that, oh, I think it was about, when did we, I started that, about 2020. And then it, it grew like crazy to about, you know, 1,900 followers which was not bad for me. <laughs> not bad for me. <laughs> I piss a lot of people off. So you know, you'd have to be you'd have to be really keen to stick with me. But um, and then when and then I stopped doing anything for about eight months after Wellington. You know, I just got so annoyed with what the police had done. You know, what the government had done. Just you know, just just bashing up people. You know, it was horrendous. And the media involvement. You know, just the big cover up of actually what went on in Wellington in February. Um, at the at the protest, you know, and not not one parliamentarian came out to speak to them. Made up excuse. They were told not to. And then you had that halfwit who's now been rewarded. What was his name? Mallard. He was just an idiot. Turned the sprinklers on. He's actually responsible for a lot of the damage caused there. And then you had thugs just wanting to beat people up. Policemen, you know, just couldn't wait. And I know for a fact it was a friend of mine was at a, a police party, a birthday party, and. Um, and uh, a few of them said, oh, no, it was great. Now we got to really bash some people up. There's some thugs in the police now. That's not good policing. Those people need to be uh, weeded out. And we need to get back what we had as a, as a constabulary. Anyway, that's what we need. That's what I think. And not, not enforcers. You know, but that's not what we want. Um, here's John Tamahiri. This is a bit interesting. John Tamahiri and James Shaw. Have a listen to this. It was on the weekend. Earlier we spoke to David Seymour. He is making this treaty on the, uh, this referendum on the treaty a, a bottom line, yeah. basically, in, in coalition negotiations with the National Party. What's that going to do for the country? Well, see, there's the tyranny of the majority. There will be uh, significant civil unrest. And we don't, uh, and nor should any leader take us down that track. This is what James Shaw said to us this morning as well, that he's concerned there could be violence if this, if this referendum is held. 
that, well, we, that it could we've cause got no such choice. division. But we've got no choice. You see, when when you back people into a corner and, and they've got nothing else to do, they, they, they have to resort to protest, right? And then that, and because we're well organised up and down the country, that that protest will will be uh, significant as it should be. There'll be uh, days of uh, national Māori action, and uh, they'll close down Whangarei, Auckland, Tauranga, Hamilton, Wellington, and so we go. You see, so um, and, and when 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 we start rolling those, you then start to see the true capacity and capability of our movement. There will be significant uh, civil disobedience. I endorse. Uh, absolutely my right to protest uh, against any government. Mr Seymour will have to answer that question, right? That's why he's probably hiring more cops and building more prisons. Yes, it sounds like a threat to me, doesn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely uh, a threat from the, from the um, violent minority. If they can't get their own way, they resort to violence. Uh, just a totally different... And he's inciting violence, he is. And that, that is, um, he should be arrested for that. That's not on, and yet we allow we allow people like him to do that because he's Maori. You see, they're allowed to get away with anything. There needs to be some big changes. Maori need to be put in. in the, they need to be put in their place. They make up less than one sixth of the population. And if you actually, if you took it back to 1973, there wouldn't be any Maoris left anyway. A friend, most most Maoris are about. They're lucky if they've got. If they did their DNA test, they'd be lucky if they had 10 percent Maori in them. And that's that's the truth of the matter. They're well, they you know. And what what are they doing? What are they saying? What are they saying to their forebears that are British and European? They're just sort of wiping that side of it, are they? And they're just holding on to this little thread of of Mariness. and and you know. And that's all comes from communism. That, that's what they do. Every country in the world they're using the so-called indigenous people to remove private property. Is basically what it's all about: removing private property from. Uh, people that are actually the workers, people that are paying for everything, and what have Maori contributed? Really, think. Just bring me something that Maori, that Maori have contributed and put on the table, and made us better. I mean, the Swiss, you know, Swiss-made quality Germans, quality German machinery, uh, the British Industrial Revolution. So, what what have Maori given us? The grass skirt, the haka. Is there anything else you can think of? Come on. Be honest, it's not a racist question, it's just a question. What have they contributed? What should the penalty be for saying that the Prophet Muhammad sexually assaulted a nine-year-old? Insulting the Prophet, according to Islamic law, would result in death, death penalty. For me as well, even though I'm not Muslim? After full due process, if you are convicted of that crime of blasphemy, then you would be put to death. Good thing I'm not in an Islamic country. The European Enlightenment thinkers, they advocated the death penalty within Muslim colonies for anyone, for example, who insulted the French flag. So according to these liberal thinkers, it is worth executing these individuals who are speaking out against secularism for the greater good of liberalizing these colonies. I'm a liberal secular humanist and I oppose the things that he just talked about. And he has to reach back way into history before secular humanism even existed and commit an equivocation fallacy to suggest that that was secular humanism action before it even existed. Well, that's food for thought, isn't it? 14 minutes past five here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards, keeping you company until seven o'clock. We'll have more from TNT Radio at news at the um, at seven, uh, six o'clock and again at seven o'clock. So oh, you can look forward to that, can't you, and see what's going on there. OK, now let's uh, check out the weather. We've had great difficulty getting on to, um, they, must be, they must be down actually, metservice.com. They've got a problem there. Been trying for the last uh, 10 minutes to get those people. And I'm pleased that I, 
couldn't get onto them because now I've found an even better report by weatherwatch.co.nz and I like it. It's far more detail. Now we've got a southerly airflow and it lies over the country today and it's moving around a large high in the Tasman Sea. Most regions are going to have some cloud showers and about to about, you know, that's going to mainly be about the South Island, especially inland areas. Showers are about two, okay, with a T-double-O. Northland, here we go. Northland, Auckland, Waikato and the Bay of Plenty. You've got a mix of sun and cloud, a chance of an isolated shower. Becoming mostly cloudy for the Bay of Plenty in the afternoon with isolated showers late afternoon and evening. A chance of heavy falls as well. Southwesterly winds for most of the northerly, uh, sorry, most, and then northerlies for the Bay of Plenty, I should say. Expect a high today of between 18 and 20 degrees. I like it. Uh, For Western North Island, including the central... um, Island, Yes, a mix of sun and cloud, a chance of an isolated shower late afternoon and evening, but mainly inland. You've got southerly winds today and they're tending southeast. Yeah, isn't that great? Later in the day. And you've only got a high of 12, but it might pop up to about 17, around about 1 or 2 o'clock. You just never know. In the eastern North Island, partly cloudy, a few showers for Mahia Peninsula and coastal Gisborne near... That's going to be cleared up, though, by the morning. And then late afternoon or evening, a few showers, but they'll be isolated and they'll spread off the ranges. You've got southerly starting to pick up and a high today of uh, around about 18. Maybe 16 to 18 is going to be your temperature today. In Wellington, partly cloudy. Ice, a uh, chance of a shower. I was going to say isolated, but no, no, uh, just a chance of a shower. Mainly later in the day, though, and you've got southerly winds. 14 to 15 degrees is your temperature expected in Celsius today. For Marlborough and Nelson, mostly cloudy with a few showers. Some may be heavy in the afternoon about the inland hills and ranges and then easing in the evening. You've got cloud breaks away from Nelson at night, so that's good. Cloud breaks away, does that mean you've got cloud breaks? <laughs> I think it means it dissipates. It, it, it's leaving, and uh, so that's good. Light winds tending onshore southerlies. Bit of a sea breeze, I suppose. It's going to push through the day it uh, uh, pushed through later in the day. High today of only 14, possibly 15. For Canterbury, and uh, it's going to be warmer down there actually, mostly cloudy in Canterbury, although coastal areas may have some sun. Showers, sun and showers, not sun showers, <laughs> possibly could be. Uh, they're going to develop in the afternoon, especially inland, and you're going to have southerlies freshening. Cloud eventually thickens up in, on the coast, and that's going to be 14 to 17 degrees. Is for your temperature. On the west coast, sunny in Fjordland with southerlies. Further north, expect partly cloudy skies with a few isolated showers and light winds. Showers may become heavy about the ranges in the afternoon, mainly for Buller though, and then clearing later in the evening. 16 to 19 degrees is your expected temperature today. In Southland and Otago, a few showers in, and also for Southland coastal Otago. It's going to be thinning out in the afternoon with sunny areas increasing. Any remaining showers, they clear in the evening. Central Otago may have morning sun and then a few showers in the afternoon, but that's going to be clearing later on in the evening. And you expect south to southwesterly winds with a high of between 13 and 17 degrees and nothing for the Chathams. Absolutely nothing. So there we are. That is your news and weather. News from TNT Radio and weather from me. Courtesy of me. From... um, weatherwatch.co.nz Yes, Weatherwatch. I'll be back in a moment and we'll go and have a look at the newspapers, shall we? The um, fake stream media and see what they've got planned for us. I think it's 16, yes, roughly 16 minutes past five. I hope your morning's going good. Hope you're having a good one. Had your morning cup of tea or coffee or whatever it is you have. Someone came round to see me the other day 
I actually helped the, helped a friend um, pull the car out of the ditch. It slipped off the hill and just about rolled down the bank. Pretty lucky. So I took the tractor out and we hauled it out. And then he came around for a cup of his. He doesn't drink tea or coffee, so I, I said, oh, I've got a Milo. But oh, then I realised it's not Milo because I, I stopped buying Milo because it's full of sugar. So I just have cocoa. <laughs> and I just add it to my coffee sometimes. It's sort of like a mochaccino, isn't it? Without the froth. And um, anyway, it wasn't too good. I said, I, I, actually, I said, you want some sugar with it? And then I forgot to find it because I don't have sugar. It's like I have to, I'd have to hunt for it and open a new pack, I suppose. I keep it there. I don't know why I keep it. I mean, I might have a good thorough clean out, spring clean, as they say. Get rid of all that junk, you know. I'm not expected. I suppose when people come over, you've got to offer them something, don't you? You know, I, I will have to get something for people. And I'm not tempted at all now. I was tempted to eat the stuff, but not anymore. Okay, so what else have I got coming up here? This is, um, oh, did, hang on, did, did we hear this? Men dating single mothers comes with a bunch of problems. Yeah. As a sister, I would never want my brother to date a mother with a child. I, I really think that once you have a kid, you've kind of made your bed, you should lie in it. If you get lucky and find a husband, that's great, but you're kind of donezo. Like, honestly, I really don't think you should make a child with a man and not marry him. And I think you should never leave if you have a kid with someone. Absolutely right. That's good advice. Uh, that's why I like you, Pearl. You're, you're a woman of um, high intelligence because you listen to your father. She's, she's got a great relationship with the father. I find most women that have fabulous relationships with their father, they're the best women in the world. Um, my sister-in-law, Mary Jane Tamazi, fantastic relationship with her dad. He's passed away now, but she had a fabulous relationship. And so she's my brother's wife, and they have a fabulous relationship. And I think it's because she really loves men. She likes men. She likes hanging out with men. She loved her dad. And so she's got that. And my daughter as well. I have a good relationship with her. She's, she's not, I wouldn't call her daddy's girl. But I think that, you know, women like that make great wives. They really do. And that's what, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? It's about be, what the most important thing you can do as a woman is find someone that's not going to leave you. Find someone that wants to get married that you can have children with that's not going to leave you. But we know that 80% of marriage breakdowns are actually, the, the, the ones that file for divorce, 80% of them are women. Women. 80% because they think the grass is greener and it never is they jump ship they've got kids and then you know you know those those whoever that you find is never going to replace the father of the children and then children sort of like they pretend oh it's all good I'm pleased that mum and dad broke up and all that it's just absolute rubbish I'm pleased my mother mother and father stayed together and they fought there for a while when I was about 12 or 13 they were they were having arguments you know almost every night it was terrible but it passed, as, as do storms at sea. They pass. The gale doesn't go forever. You just heave to and sit it out and stay with the ship. And that's what you do in a marriage. You stick with it and you come out of it at the end and it's a beautiful day and you're stronger. You're um, sort of, it makes you better. It makes you better. You can't have it all lovely all the time. Marriage is not about love. Do you know that? Some of you don't realize it's not about love. It's about duty. And commitment, that's what it's about. And don't get married if you think it's just for a little while and you're going to have children, you're going to wreck their lives just because you're doing an experiment to see if you're going to make it or not. If you're not sure that you can commit yourself, forget about you know anything else. If you want to get married, it's forever until your husband dies. That's what the rules are. And you'll find out one day that I'm right. A woman is bound to her husband so long as he liveth. Them's the rules. It doesn't say that a man is bound to his wife so long as she liveth. 
It's just the way it is. 21 minutes past five. Now, oh, look, we've got the Maoris here. The Maori government is prosecuting the four high-ranking New Zealand officials for committing crimes in response to the, the, the COVID. Now, I, I can say that. Oh, no, I can't. Hang on. I've just got to stop Facebook because I can't speak freely. So let me just do that. Stop. There we are. Uh, oh, I should have said, if you want to hear the rest, you'll have to go over somewhere else, go on the live stream um, with on one of the apps. Or, uh, oh, it's too late. Gone. Okay. Well, we'll just carry on, shall we? Let's do that. So look at this. The Maori government has sentenced Christopher Hipkins, Andrew Little, Ashley Bloomfield and Christopher James. I don't know who Christopher James is. For up to 10 years in prison for committing crimes in response to the COVID pandemic. I call it a pandemic and many of us do. The, uh, the, count, the court also sentenced 118 members of the parliament to prison for supporting and facilitating the four criminals' actions. After hearing all the evidence, the Maori government issued a statement prohibiting the, the importation, sale and use of the mRNA biotech medical technology and all derivatives in New Zealand. So the Wangamaninga Maori government they operate under the native Maori jurisdiction, and it is the first nation jurisdiction of New Zealand, apparently. And it is recognised in pre- and post-treaty British imperial law. The first collective from the Maori government was the Te uh, Wakamaninga uh, at Te Nairiri in 1805. And then there's the Muri Whenua, well, I, they call it Muri Whenua, that's the trans-Northland, the Te Wakamaninga is translated into English texts as the Chiefs of the Confederation of the United Tribes of New Zealand. Since the uh, 28th of October 1835, the WMG, that's the Maori government, has been recognised under international law as the lawful government of Aotearoa Nui Tirini, translated New Zealand. Well, I don't think so. Not the Aotearoa, but that's made up. Nui Tirini, yes, that, that I've heard that before, and that makes sense because they weren't a nation. But anyway, here they go. Here they go. The first collective, we'll I'll keep out of it. The first collective from the Maori government was the Te Wangamaninga. Oh, I read all that, didn't I? Yeah, I did. I skipped down. Um, the He Whakaputanga, that's how they say it, and the Rangatiratanga, or Nui Tirini, uh, that's translated. The Declaration of Independence of the United Tribes of New Zealand was signed by a large group of northern chiefs on the 28th of October, 1835. And this, with this declaration, the British recognised New Zealand as a sovereign state. And I think the king was supposed to have said, this will keep the wolves away, or I think something like the snakes. I think he said, this will keep the snakes away. That's why he allowed it. The declaration set up a, prog- uh, a congress for the purposes of framing laws for the dispensation of justice and the preservation of peace and good order. But that didn't happen. They were still eating one another, uh, even in 1835. It didn't work for them, did it? But anyway, stay out of it, Grant. Okay. All right. And as the, um, here we go. And so that's the trade regulations as well. Apparently the ships used the um, the uh, the United Tribes flag. They were flying that. And you see a lot of people flying it around the country now as well. A lot of Europeans, well, so-called British people, British descendants, most of them, some Europeans, flying that flag around the country. Um, as an article of the Otago Daily Times explained, the main parts of the document declare that New Zealand is an independent nation, that all sovereign power resides collectively with the chiefs. Oh, gosh, imagine that, tribal rule. No way. No way, Jose. I can't believe I even even sort of entertained it there for a while. Stay out of it, Grant. Okay. Um, collectively with the chiefs, right. And that no government can exist unless appointed by them. And that they request that the... Uh, British King, King William the Fourth, 
would be a protector for all attempts upon its independence. Okay. This is the British Colonial Office. This the British Colonial Office agreed to do, so long as Maori protected British citizens living in New Zealand, such as Article 4. Well, they didn't, did they? They didn't. Uh, 1835, no. There was over, over 100, almost 100, about 95 British settlers and their children were slaughtered by Maori marauding gangs. A bit like, you know, sort of like mob gangs, really. That's what we've got today. It's just the same sort of thing, really. And they've all got the same sort of tats, haven't they? Facial tats. Desecration, I call it. Um, and then, so then it says, um, so this Article 4 of the Declaration states that all those coming to New Zealand, except they say New Tirini, uh, they had to settle and trade would be protected by the Maoris. <laughs> You're right. It didn't happen. Including their property rights, human rights and freedom of choice. The declaration was originally signed uh, at Waitangi by a group of 34 chiefs with 52. This is before the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, with 52 chiefs on the top, uh, top half of the North Island, eventually signing by ni- uh, 1839. That's just a year before the the official Treaty of Waitangi was signed, the one that we follow now. In the eyes of the British Colonial Office, the Declaration recognised New Zealand as a sovereign and independent country, and it is why then the British made up their mind to annex New Zealand in 1840. No, it wasn't. That's not true. It was made... Stay out of it, Grant. No, I can't. I have to say, no, they were still eating one another and fighting one another, and Maori called for a treaty around about 1835. It took a long time to actually draft it and get it around all the other Maoris. And they wanted, they wanted, there was Christian Maoris, and they wanted to be safe and secure, and they wanted to come under British law and so that they could be protected from one another, from warring tribes. That was what it was about. And so the, well, so, so the British said, right, well, we will, but we want, we want your sovereignty, full sovereignty. So take full control, but you can have your fishing grounds where your local little iwi is. You can have all that and do that, carry on as normal. But you can't block. It comes under British rule. You can't block us from going to the beach, that sort of thing. But you can take the freshwater crayfish, whereas we can't. But you can take it. We'll allow you to do those sorts of things. We, we have the quota or whatever, and you... And you, you you can't. It's very tr- simple. It's just, there's only three parts to the Treaty of Waitangi. You can go and read it for yourself, and it's just plain. You know, words have meanings. Just li- just follow what it says. It's not part of our law anyway. It's just a treaty to stop Maori eating one another. And also, it was, it's to, they were worried about the French as well, but mainly to stop them eating one another. There we are. Anyway, so this Wangamaninga government, look, they've got an official thing here. I'll have a quick listen. If it's, see if it's any good. Oh, it goes for too long. We'll have a listen to the beginning of it, see what they say. Oh, it's not loud enough. Oh, stop it. No, it's just not loud enough. If you're going to do something like that, you've got to get your volume right. What's wrong with these people? Anyway, so apparently they're taking them to court. This is a nothing. Nothing will happen with this. Nothing whatsoever. So what do they say? The four convicted are, uh, on the 17th of June, a dedicated team of men and women opened the first sovereign independent grand jury. That was at the protest, wasn't it? Oh, June. No, no, that was after the protest. That was just this year, 17th. 17th of June, and the first case was brought by the members of the Wangamininga Maori government on behalf of the people of New Zealand. Really, they didn't ask me. I didn't know anything about it. The um, the trial dealt with the lead, but they think they run the place, you see. They think that we're... You, know, you can't have two captains running a ship. So it's either the Crown, it's either the, either the head of state is going to... I'll go with, you know, as much as I don't like what's happened with the British, um, you know, with um, um, having a constitutional monarchy, which is what we are officially. We are a monarchy. 
uh, as long as I've, I've, I believe, I like the idea of it. I think it's good. They, we've got a constitution. The king has to, you know, the head of state has to um, work within that. But they haven't been, have they? Because the governors general, who are the representative of the king, they in fact are the king or queen who was in, on the throne at the time here in this country. Nothing can be done without them signing it off, giving royal assent. So when the governor general signs, they're signing, they might as well be the king signing. That's how much, how much power it has. And um, so, you know, they dissolve the parliament and they could during the time of Rob Muldoon, there was almost the constitutional crisis and they, they could actually sack the parliament and call for new elections. That's the power that people don't realise that the sovereign has. That is the power they have. And the governor general makes those decisions. But we've had people that have been in the position of governor general who, who I think there's a bit of nepotism going on. You know, they went to the same schools, same universities, that sort of stuff. We should have someone from the United Kingdom being our Governor-General so that we don't have nepotism. You know, the old boys' network here in this country. And so you've got a lot of corruption going on. And a lot of those laws that are being passed should, are not constitutional. And they should never be passed. They should never be given royal assent from the king. Anyway, so I've sort of gone off the track a bit. So this is just a nonsense. This is just Maori fairy tales. Uh, and really, and you know, and it makes you just doubt the whole thing about you know them saying that they paddled here in a dugout log, um, you know, however long, how many hundred years ago. Uh, look, it's far more feasible, far more likely that they didn't, because if they make up stories like this, you know, <laughs> they're going to make up other stories. They're great storytellers, wonderful and great mimickers. That's why they can copy any, any you know, they, they're so good at singing because they just copy. It sounds like, you know, like if they're doing John, they can copy John Rolls and, well, he is a married, isn't he? What's the other one? Um, the other one, the, the Scotsman. Uh, is he Scots? Welsh, the Welsh singer. Can't remember. Tom, Tom, uh, Tom Jones. You know, they can sing like that. You know, they're incredible entertainers, but they're very good at mimicking as well. Great actors, actually. Very good actors. And I think this is a big act. I think they didn't come here at all on dugout logs. I think they came here over a long period of time with on whaling ships. Now you think, oh, God, that whaling didn't start till you know 18th century or something. No, no, no. There's evidence, good documentary, um, documentary evidence, documented evidence of whaling being an industry for 5,000 years, and they would have been sailing all around the earth, wouldn't they? All they can't sail on the earth because it's dirt, but they can sail around the world, can't they? And they've been doing that, and they've, their um, navigation skills were far superior. A lot, of, a lot of knowledge has been lost. And so they were able to sail all around the world. King Solomon, with the Assyrian king, can't remember his name, they sent off, Solomon, 3,000 years ago, sent off ships of a 1,000 ships in a sort of a, uh, a fleet of them with this Assyrian king. They were, you know, because Solomon was incredible at building relationships with all the Arabs that lived around him. And uh, 1,000 years, uh, ships rather, and they went for three-year voyages. And uh, so one year sailing and investigating, and then another year sort of preparing for the voyage home, I suppose. And they would have picked people up on the way, wouldn't they? Yeah, and they would have dropped them off. So all the people in, that are in the islands, you know, in the islands and its islands, all those people, they, they, will be, they would have come from the Middle East, you think, well, that's rubbish. No, they came from Hawaii. No, they came from the Middle East. And they sailed in ships, in ancient expedition ships from Solomon, I would think. I would think Solomon's mines are probably in Peru. A lot of evidence for that. I would say that Solomon and his uh, sailing ships, some of them would have come here. They went on three-year voyages. 
1,000 ships. We're not talking boats here. We're not talking a, a voyage around the Mediterranean. It doesn't take that long to get around the Mediterranean. No, they were, they were, they were circumnavigating the world. Yes, they were. And they would have taken these people from the Middle East and they would have dropped them off here and there at sort of little communities and depots so that when they come next time, they've got, you know, their people have been growing crops and all that sort of stuff. Bring you the mail, find out what's happening at home. <laughs> and they would have dropped them off in Indonesia. And it's true because they are all son, they're all descendants. I spoke to a friend of mine who's um, having a chin wag with a paleontologist. Paleontologist? An anthropologist. Anthropon means men. That's the Greek word for men, a man, anthropon. So he was an anthropologist, and he could tell, he could tell, uh, he said that people, um, islanders and Asians, basically Asians, who are Shem, they're descendants of Shem, one of the sons of Noah, they have a different back to back of their teeth. It's shaped differently. Uh, the Japhethites, which is the Europeans, the ones that come from the northern tribes, they came down to the UK and you know, they have a different, the back of their tooth is shaped differently. I think it's a shovel kind of a shape. And the um, the Asians and the Maoris and the Islanders, theirs is a spade, I think, from memory. If you feel the back of your tooth as it goes up into the gum there. And so that's quite different. They're very different. And um, you'll find that the there will be differences with, um, this was a Japanese anthropologist, he was. And uh, so he could tell by looking at a skeleton how many babies a woman had had. Just looking at the skeleton, he could tell. And he's a very clever man, this Japanese guy. Met my friend Bobby up in the Cook Islands. And um, anyway, so these um, people, they, they would have come from the Middle East. And we know this is true because there's a documentary out about these green-eyed, blonde-haired um, people uh, who um, basically trace their DNA to the Middle East. They sort of there, and there we are. You see, that just makes so much sense. They would have all come from the sons of Shem from Turkey. That's where the ship went down, isn't it? In the Valley of Eight, where the Turks won't allow you to go in there anymore. But that's where uh, there was one guy. I can't remember his name. He's passed away now. But he was, he found this thing. It was over five hundred feet long. They reckoned it was um, Noah's Ark. And so Noah had three sons. He had Japheth, who went north. And because he uh, was, you know, they all probably would have been all sort of olive-skinned, I suppose, considering where they lived. But he went north, so over the last three and a half thousand years since the flood, 3,400 or somewhere around about that, um, he needs, you know, God knows you need vitamin D. So what, what happened? Well, the skin got lighter so that you got the correct amount of vitamin D from the sunlight because there's not so much sun up there. It's a lot, lot lower in the sky and you don't get so much, you know, in, towards the North Pole. So that's where they were. They went north. I don't know, fishing, whaling, whatever they were doing. I mean, we know that, whale, like I said before, whaling is a 5,000-year-old industry. And, um, but then you had the ham, the other son, he went down towards Africa. And his skin would have darkened up. Why? Because you get too much vitamin D from the sun. And God, God just knows exactly what to do. And then there's other ones sort of um, where it's not quite so hot. Uh, the Shemites, they went, well, you know, we've got Shemites here in New Zealand. Maoris are from Shem. They're descendants of Shem. So are the islanders. So are the Asians. So are, so are the Jews. And so are the Arabs. But Ham, they were really dark. They got very dark just because of where they lived. Their skins changed to suit, to suit the... I would say that um, we'll probably get darker, I, I would think. us. You know, I would say that... People that are British people, there's a lot of dark-skinned people. They've probably because they're mixing with Shemites, I would think, or Hamites. But we all come from three sons. That, that's the truth of the matter, because everyone was wiped out. 
Everybody was wiped out. Nothing was alive after that. Everything. The giants, the lot. The whole lot. Everything gone. And so all you had was just, um, you know, the three sons of Noah and their wives. And Noah probably would have had to boot them into the ark, wouldn't he? 120 years he was building that ark. 120. And people were just mocking him. And the world was probably worse than it. Probably similar to what it is today. Just terrible. Just full of horrible things. You know, just bestiality and probably, you know, sort of pedophilia. And oh, just awful, wouldn't it? Just, you know, men with men and women with women. Just all all the abominations under the sun. God, and, and they would have been wicked, ruthless people as well, bloodthirsty. I think there was a lot of blood, a lot of murdering going on. And God said, right, I'm going to get rid of the whole lot. I'm going, to just, I'm going to destroy the earth. And he did. And he's promised, though, that he'll never destroy the earth again with the flood. And that's what the rainbow's for. It's a token to show us that God will never do that. That's a sign. That's what he put it there for. Oh, I don't believe that. No, it's not. It's the gay community. <laughs> and, you know, it just goes to show that it's a demonic thing, that they take something beautiful, a token that God has given mankind as a promise that he'll never destroy the earth by flood ever again. No, he's going to do it by fire next time. You just need to read First Peter 3, I think it is, or First or Second Peter chapter 3. See, one of the First or Second, I can never remember. Anyway, so how did I get from the Maori government? Well, it's just a load of garbage, isn't it? It's a load of absolute nonsense. The Wangamaninga Maori government, uh, they've got no jurisdiction whatsoever. And um, really, if you think about it, even if they did, might is right, isn't it? You know, because the government, they've got all the guns. <laughs> they've got the army. And so we've got no hope, have we? Of um, of changing that. I mean, that's why they were able to ride roughshod over us during the pandemic. Uh, they was just, you know, they they broke the Bill of Rights. They took away things. They they broke the Nuremberg Code. Experimental biological agent. They're not allowed to do that. Yet they did it. They pretended there was a virus. And the whole thing, really, what needs to be knocked out, that, what will really sort it out is that we need to know for sure if, there, if viruses actually exist. Do you know there's not any real evidential proof that viruses actually exist? But it's become so mainstream that they do exist that we believe it, these germs from outside, instead of just your cells, just you know, because of the crap we eat and because of the uh, vaccinations that we're feeding into our children from a young age, that they are the, th- they are the things that drive neurological disorders and uh, chronic diseases and and allergies that's what drives it and steve kirsch has the data i think he did a survey of about ten thousand people a thousand of those had never had the children vaccinated nor had the mother been vaccinated and none of them had i think maybe one or two none of them pretty much zero had a chronic disease or a neurological disorder or an allergy and that's what's driving it Childhood vaccines. I mean, COVID's bad enough. The COVID pandemic. It was a total scam. They've got. They're going to keep this going because they can use health to take away your freedom, take away your land, take away the freedom. The whole idea of the globalist is to remove you from your land. And I'll tell you why I know that. Just look at the latest thing that's just been sent to me today. Um, I'll just find it for you. It is a Farmers Weekly. Farmers, they're seeing red over the northern uh, Northland Livestock Exclusion Plans. You're not going to believe what they're going to do. Northland Farmers Network, their conversations and phone calls have been set alight by Regional Council's uh, uh, draft freshwater change plan, which opened for consultation on November the 1st. It will send farmers to the wall 
and this is the end of farming for me. This is, that was the typical response. Farmers fear that hill country grazing will not only be a permitted activity, in other words, you've got to get permission from the council on your own land, that they will need costly res- resource consents in the future. More than 250,000 hectares, that's over 500,000 acres, has been identified for livestock exclusion. It means you're not allowed to graze your stock on some of this land that you own and pay rates on. Unless by consent, so you've got to ask some idiot that knows nothing about farming for consent. This is 18% of the region's land, and it's a much greater portion, around 40% of Northland's 600,000 hectares under agriculture and horticulture. To give effect to the national policy statement for freshwater management, this all comes from the United Nations. You realise that's all a part of Agenda 21. Look, their plan is to remove people from the country and have you living in dumb ghettos. They or they call it smart cities. So when they have to call something smart, you know that should be a cue to you when they've got to dress it up like that to make it sound better than it really is. So you're going to be living in a ghetto, in right in cities, and you won't be allowed to go to the country at all. That they want it, they, that's their plan because they hate your guts they hate your guts and they, they only just want to use you for work and that's why they're trying to exterminate you in all these different ways through their vaccine programs through the whole COVID pandemic thing and wars they just want to kill you off because they only want half a billion people on the, on the earth that's all they want they don't want any more than that that's enough they've figured it out they want to get rid of you that's what the Georgia Guidestones are all about. It says there that they want, they want half a billion, 500 million max. What have we got now? Nine billion. So there's a bit of killing to go, go on, isn't it? There sure is. And uh, so it says here that this, um, this is the draft plan. And, you know, they always ask for, what do you call it? They ask for, you know, for your, your consultation. They, they're not interested in your consultation. They have people there that are, that are really skillful. They know, they know how to pull the wool over your eyes at these meetings. It's just rubbish. So what they're trying to do here is they're not worried about you spraying uh, t- uh, 1080 uh, or, you know, dropping 1080. They do it. Just drop 1080 and that goes into the waterways and poisons everything, not just the, you know, what they're trying to get rid of. Gets into the waterways, gets into the food chain. Hunters hunt, you know, pig pig hunting and and um, deer and goats and that sort of thing. That's all food, and and teen eighty poisons them. them. And, but also, you know, they want you spraying um, Roundup in your streams. They want you to do that. So, don't you think that would do more harm for water quality than a bit of animal poop? I don't think so. It's all it's all um, uh, what would you call it? It's all dosage anyway, as my doctor used to say, my old doctor, when I went to see a doctor. Uh, the Northern Regional Council estimates the cost of including stock from 91,000 hectares of severely eroded land with a slope greater than 35 to f- uh, yeah, degrees is between 400 million and 600 million over 30 years, and that's an understatement. This would be 70% fencing and 30% operating loss. And the cost would be front-loaded to 70% in the first five years. That would be 9,200 to 13,700 per sheep and beef farm over 30 years, 8% to 12% of operating profit before tax. The first category of high erodible, that's HE2, and the second category is high erosion risk, HE1, with slopes between 25 and 35 degrees. For HE1, 
should that be added, the estimated cost for each farm are between sixteen and a half thousand and twenty four thousand seven hundred or fourteen to twenty one percent of annual farm profit collectively that would cost the region a further seven hundred twenty million to over a billion dollars. Farmers groups say the NRC figures for fencing and operating losses are conservative, and that 's a nice way of saying it. It means that, that they 've underestimated it on purpose, so it 's not going to sound so bad. Gradually do it you know softly, softly, catchy monkey. They're just going to gradualism. That's how the devil operates. Just gradually, just one thing at a, one thing at a time. Just slowly over time. They've got plenty of time. Uh, anyway, so um, that's conservative, and that the, that in the region that generates about one billion dollars of export revenue annu- annually, the stock exclusion proposals would chop thirty percent of income for farmers. And I'm looking at Northland here, and it's there's hardly anywhere where you can farm. I mean, it's just that all this red area. Uh, that's where you're not. You have to get a permission to to graze your cattle. I mean, this is this is Agenda Twenty One, Agenda Twenty Thirty, folks. You need to wake up, and it's no good being on the back foot. And then, and then they throw these sorts of things at you, and then you're just sort of like fighting. You're on the defensive. No, we've got to go on the attack. I'd say that what needs to happen is that everyone, everyone in Northland needs to stop paying their rates. And they, you need to get rid of the globalists that have, t- that have taken control, have infiltrated your councils, and you're, um, that's what you need to do. Get rid of them. You want people that are loyal to your country to build it, not people that want to destroy it, because that's what's happening. They are following a United Nations plan to put people out of the country, out of even suburbs, and have you living in ghettos, in high-rise ghettos, basically. And you won't be able to go anywhere without having to pay. You won't be allowed to leave home. They're doing it already in Oxford. And it's just a slowly, gradual thing, and it's happening. The Northern Draft Plan uh, is more advanced and more specific than other freshwater consultations around the country. Northern also contains soil and water characteristics different from other regions nationally. One of the most effective tools for improving freshwater, this is what they say, is to keep stock away from the waterways, wetlands, and off highly erodible land. Well, you could also keep your 1080 out of the waterways and, and stop uh, spraying Roundup in the waterways as well. That would help, don't you think? I mean, a little bit of poop, I don't think it's going to you might give you a slight bellyache. Uh, it's not going to be the end of the world. And if you're strong and healthy and don't have your kids vaccinated, you could just about eat poop. It wouldn't bother them because your body's going to be so full, so strong and able to defend itself. That's why people in Africa, uh, they can eat stuff that would make us sick because we're, we, we're all vaccinated and all our immune system is completely trashed. And so we go there, we get sick. But they don't. They can drink muddy water and they get all the lovely minerals out of it and they, and they don't get crook. OK, this is what they say. They say, we also think that there is a case for excluding stock from our most erodible land to limit erosion and sediment along the waterways. Well, you know, things fix. Oh. And then the more we do, the greater the environmental benefits. Yeah, for who? Not for man. It's not about man. They don't, you know, as I said, the devil hates your guts. Why? Because you remind him of God every time he looks at you. You're, born, you're made in the image of God, and he, every time he looks at you, he goes, it's about dry reaches. And so that's what this, this is all about. This is the mystery of iniquity at work in, these, in the minds of the um, uh, children of disobedience here, these people that are godless. And this could be mitigated somewhat, they say. Uh, hang on, I'll just go back to that. But the higher the cost for landowners, 
many of whom are already facing tough times. Of course they are. This can be mitigated, they say, this is a quote from the council, somewhat by allowing sufficient lead in time. So they just say, softly, softly, catchy monkey, just do it over time. But even so, the cost was going to be significant. The costs can be offset by planting in permanent forest. Yeah, what? Pine trees, which, have, which make your soil acidic, it's the worst thing you can possibly do. And that's why they, they you know, plant the pine trees. And then what do you get? Then they go in and cut them down. And then you get slash. And, <laughs> and then the slash, go, you have a big flood. And then the slash goes down the, and smashes all the bridges. But I suppose you won't need bridges because the rich will go on hel- in helicopters, won't they? So the filthy billionaires, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not against billionaires. But, you know, those people that think they're the elites, that think they're, you know, you know more superior to us. Because I think what we've got now, I think the, the World Economic Forum and the people that are involved in this world government business, they are the descendants of the Nazis. They're the children of the children's children. You know, they're, they're descendants. They hate us. They hate the Jews and they hate Christians. And they, they don't want scummy human beings. They want the elites. They want their bloodline, their, their wealthy bloodline. They think they're special. And so they think they're the kings of the earth. And they basically just want to use us treat us like cattle, and then when they're finished with us, that's why they're going to mark us. That's what the mark of the beast is all about. You're just going to be marked like cattle and just going to be used, and you're not going to have any freedom whatsoever unless you fight. So you've got to fight. I mean, it's going to happen anyway, but why not fight? You should resist. Everyone should resist. The council's also proposing new rules limiting vegetation clearance, land preparation, and earthworks, not allowed to do anything, in areas of high-risk erosion. It said all dairy effluent discharges to land will need resource consent. Okay, well, you know, that's kind of fair enough. I, I think just follow the rules. Uh, the continue, uh, Dairy farmers are very good, actually. They don't want to have poopy water. You know, they want good quality water. It's, very, it's important to them. The continuation of grazing on highly erodible land will also require resource consents. This is new. Uh, three waterway setback distances are included in the consultation. There's a three metre one, which is okay, a five metre one, and then there's a ten metres. Can you imagine that? A, a ten metre. Imagine if you know that you came to an agreement they, where you you they said, oh well, we'll make it five, and then later on they said, no, it's got to be ten metres now, back from any any waterway, whether it's uh, go, it flows all the time or even just partly flows, you know, like in the winter, and then the summertime it's dry. You'd imagine that having a 10 metre setback either side so you'd have your, your waterway and you have 20 metres of unusable land which you've got to fence and look after uh, just, it would just be a hopeless situation wouldn't it? That's what they want because, why? Because they want to make it impossible for you to farm only the elite will be able to have farms they want it, what are they, I guess they want it so they can just, you know, these, these elite can just fly in on their helicopter and shoot a deer and, uh, you know, they wanted to go back to what, how, how it was like before man came to earth, I suppose. I don't know. Before man arrived. Now, the minimum of three metres would apply under the government standard, but there would be a case for averaging appro- approach to, say, five metres. The council, they favour a ten metre requirement. They would, wouldn't they? The interactive map of slope, which you can see at the council, I think it's online. I'll see if there's a link to it. The HE categories show large swathes of hill country included but do not identify the overlap with the Department of Conservation Land, Native Bush and Forestry Plantations. Farmers can focus down to their own districts so you can zoom in 
even their own paddocks, and check the intensified waterways and slopes. So they've got your number. They've been they've been watching you, boys. The council's also proposing a water allocation policy that in the future would reserve 20% of the water for environmental enhancement, domestic use by Marae. Listen to this. Going to give the Marae something. They've given us nothing, and we just keep giving and giving. The people that are the backbone of the country, farmers, have to give Maori stuff. They've got to, this has to be so. This 20% of the water environmental enhancement, domestic use by Maori, Marae's, and and. Paki, um, papakayanga, whatever that is, or contribution to the Timanati Miti Māori OTY Fund, some other Māori fund, which is just basically just going to leech you, the hard-working people, the people that keep our country running, uh, they're, they're going to do that. Listen, does the Prime Minister have any, uh, any teeth at all? This has to be stopped. This, this cannot be allowed to go on. I mean, people have been farming hill country for, for years and some real steep hill country, you put sheep on it because it's just common sense if it's really steep. Because they, they do, the cattle just make these ridges and it's just impossible. So you put sheep on them, don't you? That's what you do. So this is what's coming. This is what's coming and they're trying to, it's, all, the, the, it's basically communism. Uh, and the councils are basically leftist, you know, you know, globalist, just following the new world order. That's what it is. That, and we used to call it the new world order. Now it's called the World Economic Forum. It's the same old pig as... Um, What's his name? Corbyn said, uh, with the new lipstick, and the United Nations Agenda 20. So what we're going to do now? We've got time to do this before uh, the six o'clock news from TNT. I'm going to just give you a refresher, and uh, we'll hear from Rosa Corey, and uh, she'll just bring you up to date with exactly what they're going to do. This this will take us this will take us through to news. This is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. It's a totalitarian state being developed right now all over the world. It is the inventory and control plan. Inventory and control of all land, all water, all minerals, all plants, all animals, all construction, all means of production, all food, all energy, all information and all human beings in the world. And this is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations back in 1992. It's a United Nations plan. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. And so many of us around the world think that, um, well, sustainable development, it just sounds so great. Isn't it about recycling and creative reuse and uh, and creating energy and food resources for everyone? And the answer is no, it really is not. It's about moving populations into city centers, concentrated city centers, and clearing them out of the rural areas. All systems have to be brought into harmony in order to control them all. Because when systems don't meet, when they're, when they're out of balance or not in sync with one another, they can't be controlled centrally. And the goal of Agenda 21 is one world government and total control from a central unit. Every nation that signed on to Agenda 21 has its, uh, its local Agenda 21 plan. People in the United States are completely unaware of this. If I go out and talk about this, the United States press will attacks me and calls me which is it's totally ridiculous. It is a but it's not a theory. It's a fact. 
The three pillars of United Nations Agenda 21 are economy, ecology, and equity, the three E's. And everyone sort of thinks that they know what that means, the idea of social equity. It must mean that, well, everyone's going to have access to clean water and clean air, and uh, no one's property is going to be used as a dumping ground because they are at a poverty level. But really what social equity is about is about impoverishing huge portions of the population and bringing down uh, the developed nations Everything that we're looking at now is destined to collapse our economies. It's a totalitarian state to being developed right now all over the world. And what major corporations want in this development is to be able to, uh, to have move, full movement of, of, uh, of workers without borders or boundaries, to be able to move their goods through without regulations, and to reduce wages. And so this is the goal. So this is what you find with social equity. And of course, economy and uh, ecology is about, these are the three circles, economy, ecology, and social equity. And where they meet in the center is balance. But really that balance is a communitarian balance. So it's not balance of well-being of the people. What it is is it's a balance for corporations so that they can exploit and control and have populations in an area, in tightly packed, dense areas, so that they can be surveilled and managed. And this is what that balance looks like as far as the development of a totalitarian state is. The mainstream media is owned by five major corporations, and you're not going to get this information from the mainstream press. So you need to be your own press. You need to educate yourself. You need to get out there and educate your neighbors, your community, your real community. You need to help your children understand that they're being indoctrinated from pre-kindergarten to post-graduate school. All of us have a responsibility to ourselves and to others. This is true community, to work for personal freedom. And always remember that even though we work as a group, if we do work as a group, we're all individuals in those groups, and we answer only to ourselves. And this is essential. It's essential as, as, as free human beings. This is what we are. We are free, and we need to continue to be free. And I do believe that we will win, but we have to become aware that there is a fight and then make our friends and our neighbors and our community aware as well and work together. Gosh, that was um, that that flew. That was quite long, I thought. But um, I thought I'd, I'd have time to do all my little chores that around the house, uh, around the studio. Uh, it was five minutes. Gosh, it was good. What do you think of that? Hey, eh? we've got TNT Radio News coming up very shortly. Uh, what shall I do? I will just, um, that's caught me off. Oh, we've got Ben Shapiro here. Have a listen to them. This is a new one that's just been sent to me. When I first met my wife, I told her, I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to make a lot of money. We had our first date on uh, September 5th, and then we were engaged December 22nd. In the Jewish community, when you get married, you sign a marital document that basically looks kind of like a prenup uh, called the ketubah. And one of the things in there is like an actual breakup fee. If the marriage breaks up, then how much money do you owe to your wife? So my father-in-law sits me down one day, and he's like, 
how much money do you want to put in the ketubah? And I was like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. We're not getting divorced, so put $10 million. I don't care. And he looks at me and he starts laughing. He goes, she's not worth $10 million. We'll put a million dollars. And um, I, I frequently remind him that he is a horrible negotiator. Is it always the, the guy owing the girl yes. in that document? Yes. Even if the girl's the higher earner? Yes. Wow. That's unbelievable. They would say that. Isn't it? Fancy your father saying that about his daughter. Gosh, my daughter's worth more than $10 million. <laughs> what a dad. Okay, we've got um, TNT Radio News coming up very shortly. And then after the news, we'll have a look at the weather, see what's going on. I found a new one now. Weather Watch, way better than Met Service. Oh, yeah, great. Absolutely great. Okay, um, if you missed the program here today, if you don't can't get up at 5 o'clock and listen to me gas bagging till 7, you can catch it at Podbean or any of them, actually any of the um, podcasts. But Podbean is the one I'd like you to go to because you can follow us then. We need some followers. We do. Okay, so here is uh, TNT Radio News right now. I've almost got a bit of rock and headbanging music. This is Patrick Henningsen's headbanging music. Imagine listening to that rubbish. To hear a replay of this hour, go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The House of Representatives has voted to censure Representative Rashida Tlaib in a 234 to 188 vote on Tuesday night. The punishment, while largely symbolic, was a formal public rebuke of her most recent anti-Israel comments made in the wake of the Jewish nation's war against terror group Hamas. 22 Democrats voted with 212 Republicans to censor Tlaib. Four GOP lawmakers voted against the measure. Four lawmakers voted present. The measure was introduced by freshman representative Rich McCormick on Monday. This type of anti-Semitic hate is being promoted by a small group of members in this body. Chiefly, Representative Tlaib, we must hold her accountable. Tlaib spoke in her own defense. My criticism has always been of the Israeli government and Netanyahu's actions. It is important to separate people and governments, Mr. Chair. No government is beyond criticism. In a significant move during the G7 trade ministers meeting in Osaka, Japan, a joint declaration was made advocating for the swift repeal of international bans on Japanese seafood imports. This initiative comes against the backdrop of intensified scrutiny over China's aquatic products, which have reportedly surpassed acceptable heavy metal limits. The meeting concluded on October 29th and culminated in a unified call to action, urging the prompt elimination of embargoes that hindered the trade of Japanese aquatic goods, which also includes the latest import restrictions on Japanese foods. Although no direct references were made, the statement appears to implicitly challenge the Chinese Communist Party demanding an end to the embargo on Japanese food items. George Washington University law professor and Fox News contributor Jonathan Turley on Monday weighed in on former President Donald Trump's New York civil fraud trial and described the legal theory behind the case as throwing matches at a tinderbox. American citizens view January 6th for what it was. It was a protest that became a riot. It was many things, none of which were good, but I don't believe it was an insurrection. But they're trying to knock him off the ballot in just enough cases that he can't win at the very time when he appears to be the leading candidate for the presidency. And what's troubling is that they're doing this in the name of democracy. They're saying they're defending democracy by preventing tens of millions of people from voting for their choice of president. 
Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said on Thursday that the International Olympic Committee's position that Israeli athletes aren't responsible for the actions of their government is outrageous, given the IOC's blanket ban on Russia on those very grounds. Lavrov told reporters the IOC has discredited itself entirely, accusing the body of demonstrating its political activism time and again. Whatever fits the interests of the West, mainly the U.S., they support and look for formulas to make it work. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says there's a clear double standard. There's clearly a double standard here. You remember how they canceled everything from Russia. They shut them out, not only of the global economy, of finance, of the SWIFT system. They canceled cultural events. They removed Tchaikovsky and Swan Lake from performances, curriculums, academic institutions, dropping Russian literature from their libraries, and all because of what they said Russia did in Ukraine in February of 2022, that this was the worst possible crime against humanity and so forth, going in to protect the Donbass. But the worst was to ban Russian athletes from performing on the world stage. They made them political. They politicized Russian athletes. They blamed them for the Ukraine conflict. And here we have Israel carrying out the most egregious crimes against humanity, unbelievable violations of multiple UN resolutions, Geneva conventions, and now the Olympic Committee saying, well, we don't want to politicize Israeli athletes. Unbelievable. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. Hello, everybody. I'm Lister the King. When I make a personal appearance, it's real important that I smell good. Uh, but these days, there's really a lot to overcome, so that's why I developed the most powerful cologne known to mankind. I tried Elvis Cologne. If your man doesn't shower regularly, doesn't change his underwear, or sweats like a pig, get him the cologne that's been stress-tested by the king himself. Elvis Cologne, in lotion, pump, or industrial spray drum. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually 9 out of 10 Americans, that's real. That's substantive. That's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Okay, good morning if you just joined me. Thank you very much. Five minutes past six here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards here till seven o'clock, Lord willing, if I make it. Um, yes, that's a bit of a shock, isn't it, with the land, you know, not being able to farm your land. You've got to have setbacks. They want 10 metres either side of a waterway, whether it's a full... This is just a stream, might not run every year. Uh, sorry, might not run for the whole year. But this, this is what they want to do. And as we heard from Rosa Corey, it's all part of uh, moving us out of the country and into the smart cities, which are basically going to be dumb ghettos. It's just going to be horrible, a horrible way of living, but they don't care. And they're trying to get rid of people right now. They First of all, they did the pandemic. They were vaccinated people and a lot of people die, a lot a lot more people are dying you know you're just going to have to admit that uh, people are dying their lives have been shortened some died straight away some are still dying now cancers if you've got turbo cancers now things are everything's just going to pot that all cause all cause all cause the all cause mortality rate is through the roof in every country that's vaccines were huge in and it all started in 2021 with the vaccine rolled out and I can say that now because I'm not on Facebook or YouTube thank goodness it's just terrible and then and then that's another thing too they use these social media platforms to um, hide the truth from us the, the dangers of it all uh, so and then there's wars you know you've got uh, 550,000 it's sort of a, a, um, really that's probably an underestimate of 
um, the Ukrainian soldiers that have been fighting this proxy war for NATO, they've gotten rid of 550,000 young men, you know, and older men too, towards the end because they couldn't have enough. And Russia didn't want to ki- didn't want to kill anyone, but they they he warned them for years and years. Don't you're not joining NATO, and you've got to uh, NATO. have got to stay out. This is a war between Washington and London, and uh, fighting Russia. They want to attack Russia, and so there we are. Get rid of a few. Now you've got the Israeli the whole thing happening there, and it's more people dying. There'll be another. There'll be a World War Three that'll start. That'll kill off a few more people. So you you're being attacked with the childhood vaccines. Then you've got the COVID pandemics. You've got all this sort of stuff. Um, then you've got wars, and those are all the things that just reduce the, the um, uh, life. And the pharmaceutical industry, they're doing a wonderful job making a fortune, pretending that they're helping you. But in actual fact, they're just slowly killing you, and you're paying for it. We, you pay for your own, you know, every country in the world. We, we, it's the taxpayers. It's middle New Zealand that pays for the pharmaceutical stuff. I mean, it's not government money. It's our money. And so these people are wasting our money um, buying poison to poison us with. And then they sell it to us over, the, over TV. They use hidden persuaders to convince us that viruses are real and that germs are real, neither of which are real. It's all to do with the microbes in the body and how your, your terrain, uh, how you treat your body. If you, if you don't treat your body well and you put rubbish into it, it you're going, the terrain in your body is going to change and the cells are going to change. And when they look at these things and think that they're germs or think they're viruses, what they're seeing is just a cellular change within the body, and they give it a name. And they pretend they follow Louis Pasteur's you know, plagiarism. He basically plagiarized uh, Antoine um, Beauchamp's work, which was the cellular theory or terrain theory. If you want to know more about that, go to Dr. Sam Bailey. You can find her at Dr. That's D-R, Sam, S-A-M, Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y dot com. You can go there. She's on YouTube as well, Dr. Sam Bailey. She's been taken, oh, not YouTube, she was taken off. The only thing she, she does there, see, this is, again, they're censoring it, the truth from coming out. Um, the only thing she does now on YouTube is she does these little trailers and things that are safe to talk about. But basically, her and her husband, they've had 30 years' experience between them. Very good doctors. Great. He's a great researcher. And she's very good at explaining things. You know, she said, I want it so that I want the information. I get it from Mark. And it's her husband, Dr. Mark Bailey. And she does her own research as well. But she's able to distill it so that even a 9 or 10-year-old could understand it. So you want to go there. She's a co-author as well of, of, of Virus Mania. That's a book that you all need to read. You know, you've got to, we have to sort of say to ourselves, what's to be said for the other side? Grant's saying there's no viruses. Well, how does he know that? You know, that's nonsense. You know, and the reason why you think that's nonsense, that germs don't exist, they're not germs, and that viruses are just made up, invented. And, and, and the reason why you think that I'm talking absolute poppycock is because you've had decades of brainwashing through the media. And the doctors, they don't, they don't do any individual research. They follow the leader. I said to my friend who's a doctor, I said, How did, what, did, what was your decision on the whole COVID-19 thing? And we get vaccinated or not? What did you think? You know, what, what, you know, where were you? And he said, well, I just followed another fellow whom I respected. So what they do is follow the leader. Just round and round. Just chasing each other. Just the blind leading the blind. And there's no actual evidential foundation that the viruses even exist. The whole thing is a fraud. And this gain of function, it's gain of fiction. It's gain of function nonsense. The only thing they can do is, is, is poison you with chemicals. There's no such thing as bioweapons.
you know that they can that you can just pick up from the from the air they've tried it they've tried to put things into people's eyes they've tried to put viruses so-called people that have got the flu or whatever or got you know from um, which is really just toxins being released from the body in 18 1918 they actually did experiments you know when people that are supposed to have had the flu and um, they uh, and they'd all been vaccinated prior the only people the only people that didn't die were the people that had never been vaccinated with smallpox and scarlet fever and stuff like that they didn't die. They were able to go out and help people that had the so-called flu in, in 1918. After the war, everybody's malnourished and stressed to the hilt. You know, not enough decent food around, so their bodies... Were, and then they'd been all vaccinated. So the only... That's like I said, those ones that hadn't had any jabs back prior to them, they, they didn't have any problems, did they? Because they're fit and healthy. And so if you, just, if you keep animals in a tight position, a tight location, keep them tight... Uh, and, you know, because we shouldn't be kept in tight places like in cities. We should be out in the space as well. But you keep animals in a tight position, you get lots of dis-ease. Those animals, they are not at ease. Their bodies, there's something wrong with them. Something happens to them. And then you fill them full of vaccin- vaccines, which lowers their immunity even more. And you think, oh, gosh, no. And the, and the other great lie is they say, oh, polio, polio. If we didn't have vaccines, people would still have polio. Well, that, that's just rubbish. People in Africa, were t- they, um, they tested positive for polio, but it didn't affect them at all. It, they're, now they're getting affected by polio. Why? Because Bill Gates has been over there injecting people. I think he's got a warrant out for his arrest, actually, for crimes against humanity in Africa and some of the African countries. So they don't have a problem. The only people that had problems with polio were the wealthy, leafy suburbs, you know, the, the rich countries like well, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, America, we're the ones that had problems with our kids getting polio and getting maimed because they'd all been vaccinated with other vaccinations prior to that, which caused it, like Steve Kirsch says, the childhood vaccines are driving, uh, what did he say? He says, they, the data shows that the vaccines are ruining the health of Americans and driving the epidemic of neurological conditions. And so you can bet your bottom dollar. Look, disease naturally comes and goes anyway when you're not at ease, when you have a pandemic, when, when a whole lot of people are all in a similar sort of situation, all malnourished, just come out of a world war like World War I, and, um, and they've all been vaccinated. <laughs> with these other poisons, these other toxics, toxics which were, were basically trialled on animals. All the stuff that they give us, they trial on animals. Even the mark of the beast is being trialled on animals. It's been trialled, the chips have been trialled on, trialled on them for, for quite a few decades now. So, yeah, so there you go. Um, hopefully, uh, if I get time, we'll hear from Malcolm Roberts, also Sky News, the guy, the reporter on Sky News. They had an interesting uh, sort of a conversation with, who was it now? Some halfwit. He was a uh, he's a climate activist. He's on a hunger strike. He's married with kids and everything, and his name's Gregory Andrews. And um, so we might hear that. Might actually hear that now. Otherwise, I'll forget about it. So there was a heated debate between the Sky News host Andrew Bolt and diplomat turned climate activist uh, Gregory Andrews, who got it went sort of went awry. The activist stormed out of the studio mid-interview. And uh, so he is uh, starving himself there. What a stupid thing to do when you've got wife and kids. You know, it's just ridiculous. He says here in his post on, this is Gregory Andrews, on his post in uh, X, he says, I haven't eaten anything for over a week and I'm waiting at the Sky New Zealand studio, Australia studio, not New Zealand, ahead of it yarning with Andrew Bolt about my climate hunger strike. 
tune in, he says, and read more about why I'm doing this for our kids and country. What about your own kids, though? You're not doing it for them. And, of course, the reason why he stormed out of the studio is because he hasn't eaten for a week, and so he's he's, <laughs> he's not doing very well. I mean, if I didn't eat for a week, gosh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to st- stay around me. I'd be so irritable, and that's what this guy is, too. He couldn't control himself. Let's have a listen. Let's just drop in on that and uh, see what they say. It's about six minutes. Hang on. What does it say? This video is either unavailable. Oh, what? No, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Get the sound on. Come on. Gosh, why is it so slow? I've got a very speedy system here, but it must be slow at their end. So I'll just jibber-jabber until it starts. Look, it's struggling, isn't it? It's just going, that whirling around at that little thing, chasing its tail around and around on the guy's nose. He doesn't look very happy. Looks a bit depressed. I'd be depressed. So he's the climate activist. His name is Gregory Andrews, and he stormed out of uh, out of a... Uh, during a a studio interview uh, with Andrew Bolt. Uh, The two were in a heated debate discussing the activist decision to go on a hunger strike until the government has a timeline to stop exporting fossil fuels. What a half-wit. I like... uh, Could not not download video. Oh, okay, why not? All right. That's hopeless. They should just put it on YouTube. I wonder if they do. No, they don't. Oh, anyway. So anyway, so the, here's the gist of it. So the former diplomat, he's um, just finished the seventh day of his hunger strike. That'll be yesterday. So he's on day eight now. And uh, it's outside Parliament. This is where he's doing it. To pressure the Albanese government to end fossil fuel subsidies and phase out Australia's coal and gas exports and end native forest logging. On Wednesday evening... I'm just going to try and play. On Wednesday evening, uh, the one-time... High Commissioner to Guyana, he appeared on the Bolt Report to discuss the strike and claimed his family fully support. Oh, we fully support Dad killing himself. <laughs> you must have weird kids. They fully in a crazy wife. I would say, look, don't be so stupid. <laughs> Just nuts, you know. Anyway, when he dies from hunger. Uh, he won't anyway, but when he does, she's free to marry someone else. Anyway, she can find a real husband. Uh, his uh, So anyway, they fully support his decision, apparently, despite the possibility of dying from hunger within weeks. However, the tense interview descended into a harsh back and forth between the activist uh, who accused Bolt of bullying him. Well, you would do because you haven't eaten for a week and it wouldn't take much to tip you. You'd be short fuse, wouldn't you? Tip you over the edge because you haven't got enough food in you. And you probably eat. I bet you don't eat meat either. I bet you're a vegan. Only a vegan would do something stupid like that. Uh, You've only got two weeks, says Bolt. Uh, and then he said, he said, he said, two weeks left to live with the stupid idea that your daughter hasn't got a future. Uh, you're betraying her, and you're betraying her double. If you double, not her double, she hasn't got a double, but you're betraying her twice as much if you keep going with this. But we shall see. If you do, I'll come back in two weeks and see. That's great. I just really wish that you had better manners because you're rude, says Mr. Andrews. This is the, the half-foot that's starving himself to death. And then he ripped out this earpiece and he exited the studio. The debate became heated minutes earlier after Mr. Andrews argued that Albanese government had currently spent more on fossil fuel subsidies than on Australian army despite its uh, existential threat of climate change. Does that make sense? Spending more on fossil fuel subsidies than on the Australian army despite the... Oh, OK, the existence of threat of climate change. Well, why would you need armies for climate change? The Australian government provided $11 billion a year in fossil fuel subsidies to big companies 
that could fund 140,000 teachers or nurses positions to build 22 world-class hospitals, says Mr Andrews. You're going to need it, aren't you, if you don't eat food? You're going to be all malnourished. You're going to need a, you're going to need a tribe of, you're going to need an army of doctors to, te- to um, look after you, army of nurses. Uh, they spend more on fossil fuel subsidies than they do on the army, but climate change is a huge risk to our national security. What a load of rubbish. Where do these people come from? He actually believes it. He's a use, what they call a useful idiot. Um, Andrew, now what does he say here? He says um, they spent more than... Yeah, okay, we've got all that. Uh, okay, I tell you what. The government spends 10 times more on the poor, the Bolt Report. That's what Bolt Report host said. He shot back at him. Andrew, uh, by the end of the century, when my children are alive, three to six billion people won't have a safe place to live on Earth if the emissions keep growing like they are. And the Albanese government isn't listening, Mr Andrews replied. And the host, uh, Bolt, uh, he, um, he quizzed Mr Andrews on whether it was fair to threaten to end his own life if the government doesn't uh, take immediate action to fight climate change. Is it fair or mature to stage this hostage drama featuring yourself where you say, do as I say or I'll kill myself, he asked the activist. In an emotional retort, the former diplomat who lives with his wife and children in Canberra pointed out that his daughter attends the same public high school that Minister for Foreign's, uh, Finance, rather, Katie Gallagher, uh, once attended, but that his daughter will have less of a future because of fossil fuel subsidies approved by Ms Gallagher. My daughter doesn't have the future that Katie Gallagher has, Mr Andrews said, and Katie Gallagher sits in Parliament uh, behind me and she approves twin share parades, billions of dollars a year in fossil fuel subsidies that are destroying the future of our children, so he says. Social media users were quick to react to the polarising interview, with one interviewer claiming that it was Mr Andrews who was being rude and not Mr Bolt. Just watched your interview, Andrew wasn't rude. Uh, You were the rude one. That's what someone said to this guy. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Bolt, and not not confusing Mr. Andrews, who was the um, former, um, what was he, something to Guyana, wasn't he? Was it sort of like a, yeah, something like that. Where is it? Yeah, it's up here somewhere. He's a former diplomat, turned climate activist, turned halfwit. Anyway, so that's that's that. I was going to play it, but I can't play it. You know, can I? Um, okay, well, let's go back to the um, front page. It's 22 minutes past for six, it is, 22 past six, and we're looking at RNZ. And uh, the front front page news there is the election. Uh, recounts start in a knife-edge electorates like, um, which ones? Well, Nelson, Mount Albert, and also what they call Tamaki Macarrow. Um I think they mean Auckland. They've made a bit of a typo there. So there's four uh, district uh, uh, court. The district court has formally re- received applications for judicial recounts on those. And uh, also, we've got Susie Wiles, spelt like a Sioux Indian. Susie Wiles, she's uh, she, warning to limit COVID communications to one day a week. A threat, she calls it. The microbiologist says lack of support affected her well-being. 
I would say just eating all that food, those carbohydrates that you've been stuffing down your gob, would be affecting your well-being. She feared the university wanted to get rid of her. I'm not surprised I wouldn't get rid of you too if you're not teaching and you're out being a little bit an activist for, for a communist government. 2023, virtually certain to be the warmest in 125,000 years, according to EU scientists. How would they know? They weren't around 125,000 years ago. The Earth wasn't here 125,000 years ago, you halfwits. I can't believe the amount of Christians that believe the Earth is more than 125,000 years. Some of them think it's billions of years old. It's absolute rubbish. Maybe the matter is. Maybe it's been there for billions of years, but the Bible says the Earth was void and without form, and that was about 6,000 years ago. The heat is in the result. This is more climate, climate change nonsense. The heat is the result of continued greenhouse gas emissions from human activity. I think that's why I think they killed um, Augie Auer. I think they induced a heart attack in him in Melbourne for those years ago. He was a television. He was a, a very smart man. He was actually totally against that that human activity caused um, greenhouse gases and you know carbon build up that sort of stuff. He was totally against it. He said it's just it's it's nothing science. It's just rubbish science. He said. And he became, I think he was Television 3's weatherman as well. Very fantastic. He was good to watch and, um, you know, really witty as well. Made things that were quite complicated easy. Made it, simplified it for us, you know. A bit like Dr. Sam Bailey. That's what she does. She simplifies difficult things. Anyway, so this is what they're arguing. Greenhouse gas emissions from human activity combined with the emergence of this year of the El Nino weather pattern, which warms the surface waters uh, in the eastern, you know, whether that's eastern something, it's clickbait. They f- couldn't read the whole thing. I'll, g- I'll just read it for you. Um, this year is virtually certain to be the warmest in 125,000 years. How could they know that? It's just rubbish. European Union scientists said on Wednesday, after data showed that last month that the world's hottest October in in, in that period. Well, I don't know about that. I, I doubt that. Last month smashed through the previous October temperature record from 2019 by a massive margin. The EU's Copernicus, well, there's a hint, isn't it? Copernicus was the one that that uh, decided the Earth was a spinning ball instead of a instead of flat, like, like sensible people know know that it is. Anyway, oh gosh, just lost a few listeners there. Oh, he's a, he's a flat earther. Uh, the record has broken by 0.4. It was broken by 0.4 degrees celsius gosh it's so much isn't it and they say which is huge it's a huge margin they say and the c3s deputy director samantha burgess what does she say i wonder what they're paying her there's usually money follow the money uh, who described the october temperature anomaly as very extreme is it 0.4 degrees very extreme could have fooled me the heat is a result of continued greenhouse gas emissions from human activity well, that's debatable, combined with the emergence of this year's El Nino weather pattern. And you know that Ni- Nino, Nino <laughs> you know that uh, Niwa were hiding information. According to Ian Wishart, they were hiding informa- weather information so that it would look, it would, they could push their, the government could push, because the government, Niwa's government, they could push their climate change nonsense on us. And really, all this stuff is just going to, it's all about making us pay money and so, and why? Why do we? Why do they need money? Because they don't have any, and they need some money to finance the world government that's going to be coming, and the antichrist is going to be ruling it. They need money, and they're going to get it from us because we believe this rubbish, and they use the media to convince the stupid people that don't do their own research, and they even sort of mock people for doing their own research as if that's a bad thing <laughs> to do your own, to use your brain that you've been given instead of jettisoning it, jettisoning it. It's just nuts, isn't it? You know, this is what we've got to put up with. 
Globally, the average surface air temperature, just the article goes on, in October, it was 1.7 degrees Celsius warmer than the same month. We've got no way of checking this. From 1850 to 1900, which Copernicus defines as pre-industrial period. The record-breaking October means that 2023 is now virtually certain to be the warmest year recorded in 125,000 years. Oh, even kids will say, oh, when could you measure? <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, just why do we believe this rubbish? Copernicus data sheet goes back to 1940. Yeah, that's not 125,000 years. When we combine our data with the IPCC, whatever that is, uh, then we can say that, that, that this is the warmest year for the last 125,000 years. Can you? <laughs> Prove that. Where's your evidence for that? The long-term data from the United Nations Climate Science says, so that's the United Nations. There you go. They want money from us for polluting the earth, and we're not polluting it at all, not doing anything to it whatsoever. We make no difference really whatsoever, And but they want to get money from ordinary people to finance their new world government. Uh, I've lost interest in this story. Anyway, that's put out by Reuters, and it's just rubbish. Uh, just rubbish. 27 minutes past six here at the, um, uh, what are we called? Oh, the um, Liberty NZ breakfast, yeah. And now what have we got? Um, we've got some a few more things here. And Gore, Gore blimey is the heading here. It says um, that Gore residents get crabby over over tree planting, so they, they were planting some crab apple trees. This was the decision they'd made. it, And Ben Bell, the young mayor, of, he was away and he left some other half-wits in charge. And they didn't follow the procedure. So they went out and dug these holes for, I think, about five trees. So these holes, and they have to put cones around it, you know, and warnings and stuff like that. And then they've got to check it, you know, like to make sure for safety checks daily. And it was costing $300 per dug hole a day. And Bear, um, Ben Bell came back and he was furious and then the meeting yesterday, you know, wanted to know, you know, surely, you know, we have procedures that you should follow. And it's not like the first time we've done it. So they just went off and did it. And then when they, they realised they made a mistake. So that's that story. Um, what else is here at Radio New Zealand? Stress as funds run low for the first home buyers. Oh, the first home partner buying programme. This is put out by what they call Kainga Royal, which is New Zealand housing. Kainga Aura. Uh, prospective home buyers, they're trying to use the um, New Zealand housing scheme to get on the property ladder. It's fast running out of fast running out of time. First home partner scheme. Partner. <laughs> first home partner scheme. So they partner with the bank, I think. The government helps them. Uh, I think they give them so much. Uh, anyway, they've, they've stopped accepting applications in September because there's huge interest in the program. Now buyers have already been approved are in a race to get a piece of the action. So the State Housing Agency, which is what Kayanga or is, State Housing, you know, um, this year they made it easier for people to get into their first home with their first home partner scheme, loosening eligibility in Auckland by lifting the income gap and removing one of the new houses rules. So you had to have to be a new home, not couldn't be an old home. So they've removed that. Six weeks later, uh, New Zealand Housing announced that it would no longer take any more applications because of unprecedented demands. They're going to run out of money. Late in October, uh, an update was sent to those who had already been approved. It says, we at New Zealand Housing, and they use the Maori name, they chuck it in there. That's all got to end, all that rubbish, all that Maori bullshit. You know, we speak in English here in this country, not Maori. It's just too confusing for everybody, but that's what the devil does. He likes to confuse you. It's all about confusion. So we know it's satanic, don't we? I mean, all that Maori culture, that's just basically religion that comes from the Middle East. 
it's all if you if you study it as I have, uh, all that stuff. You know, Tor. You know, up in the north there, the um, he's the god, the god of fire. Whatever it is, Tor. Here they had um, Tane down here. It's actually Tammuz, which comes from the Middle East, which is the the Babylonian pagan. That's basically um, Nimrod's son, Tammuz or Tammuz, however you want to say it. So he was gored by a bull, and the Roman Catholics are basically following there. Jesus is actually uh, Tammuz. It's a paganism. Uh, they blended it with Christianity and tried to fool everybody. It's basically a counterfeit religion. Anyway, uh, so it's, they say here that they confirm, this is back in the letter, they sent a letter out to everybody, that's New Zealand housing, confirmed that you could continue to search for a home and that we would assess the sale and purchase agreement on a case-by-case basis. See, so they've been approved to get it, and now they're racing around trying to buy any old thing uh, just to get onto it. So that's what the email, they sent the email that was to inform them that we're now approaching our funding limit for processing agreements, and we expect to reach our funding limit within the coming weeks based on current demand. Under the scheme, uh, 25% or $200,000 is sort of and you do a buyback sort of thing 550 deals were done before eligibility criteria eased and then when it eased it just went crazy another 148 they got in and then dwindling funds uh, that sort of everyone's worried now uh, Emma she this is one of the people that's um, got approved she's hoping to get a house that she can live there with her partner and her one-year-old child but the possibility of money running out uh, is putting on the pressure. She said that we're quite grateful to be approved, but now we're desperately trying to get a house and get that side of it all approved before the funding runs out. So it's quite stressful. It shouldn't run out. If they've approved you, they should wait. You know, they should have chopped it off if they knew that. They just It just shows you the stupidity. People running, we've got absolute imbeciles running government departments. You know, changing the name for one thing is just nutty. All these name changes. So there we are. It looks like it's going to run out. But there's another guy actually... Um, he actually says this, I think, I, um, there's another way. That, so they don't have to go down this track. There's other ways that would probably be better for them anyway. Now, who was it? Is it Emerson? Due to continued high demand. Uh, where is it? There you go. Um, housing agency underwrites the loan and they're issued by the selected banks and other lenders, and it means that people can borrow with a low deposit, as low as 5%, but Wills, this is this other fellow they had to talk to, this is um, Radio New Zealand had to talk to him, he said that people were put off by the requirement that they must have been in the same job for 12 months or in the same industry for two years. They, they go, well, I didn't fit that criteria. That's what he says. They go, well, they didn't fit that criteria, but I fit the first home partner one, so I'll go there. They should have never have been doing the first home partner. They should have been with the first home loans. There's, it's another policy, but the policy made it too hard for them. So Kaingaroa, which is New Zealand housing, which is you know state housing sort of thing, um, the first home loan applicants need to show that they have a sustainable income, which is unlikely to change. Well, you know with the, the pandemic, you know anything was everything was up in the air, wasn't it? In the meantime, Emma has found a property that she's trying to, to get funding approval for. If that did not happen, then it's back to square one. We're currently living at my, my, with my parents. Oh, that'd be lovely for your husband or your partner, your business partner. <laughs> Pretty much is a business. When he runs out of money, you leave. Uh, that's how it works, isn't it? When poverty walks in the door, love flies out the window. Anyway, so that's that story. I've sort of, sorry, I slaved over it a wee bit there. Um, Dame, oh, here we go. Um, Wayne Brown, that's his um, Auckland Transport, got a bit ahead of themselves apparently. 
they have, um, this is on Karanga Happy Road, this is a disaster. I'm looking at a photograph of Karanga Happy Road and they've got a cycle lane which is, you can drive a truck down it. And then they've got this great big um, sort of an island in the middle which you could, you know, just, you could drive a four-wheel quad bike down that. And then they've got a footpath as well. But they've got all this park, they've taken away all the parking. I can't believe it. Auckland Transport is delaying part of its plan to expand bus lanes. So they want bus lanes on Karanga Happy Road. And its plan was to scrap all car parks in the... Can you imagine that? All car parks in the iconic entertainment and hospitality strip. Gosh, it wouldn't, I don't know if it, Karanga Happy Road wouldn't say that. It used to be, <laughs> it used to be a, a den of iniquity. But anyway, there's some quite nice shops there, and they've been there for a while. And anyway, this is starting next week to make way for more public transport. However, following the pushback from businesses and Mayor Wayne Brown, good on you, Mayor Brown, the full plan will not go ahead for a few months. You've got to put a stop to it. Wayne Brown, the Mayor of Auckland, he told Checkpoint, Radio New Zealand's Checkpoint, Auckland Transport got a bit of a head of, head of themselves. He said they've backed away from most of what they've had in mind and put the bus lanes off to have a better discussion. Yeah, you should be. Auckland Transport said parking on Karanga Happy Road would still be scrapped this weekend. Going to be scrapped. Going to scrap parking. But but would not become full bus lanes until February. Softly, softly, catchy monkey. Little bit gradualism. That's the tactic. They've, all been, they've been using it for decades to get their own way. It said that until then, they would be operating as loading zones for shuttles, taxis and buses between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. All these rules and regs. Gosh, who'd live in the city? As a, a bus lane outside of each uh, reg. From February, this uh, the bus lanes will be implemented from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on the northern side. Oh, you got that? And then, But they're not planned for the south side. Not yet, not yet they're not. As part of the new Western Express connecting western and northern northwest Auckland to the city, buses will run a route, they will run on the route every 10 minutes from Sunday. Now Auckland Transport said that the removal of car parks would mean more consistent bus trips times and encourage more people to the to the public transport. Now, we don't want to be encouraged. Yeah, so you're forcing us to, basically. If public transport was any good, we would all be doing it. But we're not. It's like with mobile phones. You buy the new one because it's better than the other one. You don't get forced on you. And so they're forcing this. They're going ahead and doing it without proper consultation. The people don't want it. They're following Agenda 2030. What is that? To remove cars. They're going to take away all your joy. There'll be no laughing. <laughs> There'll be no joy. There'll be no Grant Edwards gas bagging and you know, spreading disinformation, or what they call it. That's purpose. Disinformation is purposely done. They do the disinformation. Sometimes we misinform. That's not, not intentional. But disinformation is intentional, intentional, and the government is really bad at it. Or good at it, rather. They're, they're bad for us, good for them. Now, you've got a business in there in Karanga Happy Road, Business Association chairperson, her name is Mai Chaw, and she said the proposal removing, removal of the parking was simply just not acceptable. She said, in order for businesses to survive, we need customers to be able to access your business. Loading zones are a crucial part of doing business. However, that's probably only about 5% of your business activity. What Auckland Transport is doing is giving a tiny piece of a crumb and expecting the businesses to survive. It makes no sense whatsoever. Karanga Happy Road had so many wonderful businesses who had been operating for a very long time. This is going to destroy our precinct. It's crazy, she said, and she's absolutely right. But that's Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. That's what they're doing. They don't want you having any joy 
you've got to they, they're going to do this they're going to take away cars you'll be walking around and you go outside you, you won't need a car because you're not going to be allowed to go away from your home you'll work within five minutes that's why they're called five minute cities ten minute cities fifteen and some are even twenty Hamilton are doing a twenty minute city but they'll all be five minute cities eventually you won't be able to, you won't be able to go anywhere other than five minutes away from home can you imagine like living in a dumb ghetto imagine living in a ghetto that's what they are. Smart cities are ghettos. All, that's what they'll turn into. And that's what we're allowing to happen. And we're on the back foot. We need to be on the forefoot. We need to be charging forward and stopping them. The way to do that is to get rid of all the globalists that are in local body and in our um, uh, national government. All the globalists. And what we've done, we've just voted in three parties which are globalists. Winston Peters is a globalist. He's a collectivist. That's, they're globalists. He believes that what what happens to the collective is more important than the individual rights. And that's what the whole pandemic was all pushed on us. They use the media to do it, to brainwash it, that it, us, that it's a bit, it's better for us to do for the do for the good of the collective. And I'll just get just remind you that your new Prime Minister is actually a collectivist. I will just remind you of that right now. Um, 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 what's his name? Chris Luxem. So I will just find that, and you can say, yes, now here we go. So he wants, now, we're not talking COVID vaccines here. We're talking all childhood vaccines. This is Christopher Luxon uh, being interviewed uh, by, I think it's on The Morning Report. Do you support cutting benefits to solar parents who don't vaccinate their children? Yes, I do. Why? Um, because it's about a notion of rights and responsibilities. If you want to be part of New Zealand and civil society, you have certain inalienable rights, but you also have responsibilities to actually for the collective and, and helping them. There you go. That's globalism talk, the collective. Collective of New Zealand. Collective. Collective of New Zealand. There's no such thing as a collective, Chris. It's like a forest. They don't actually exist. What exists is the trees. A forest is just a whole lot of individual trees, and that's what we are. So you, you, it sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Doing, doing it for the group, you know. But it's not a good idea at all. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I've got someone that can explain it better than I can. Uh, if I can find him, I've got him here. He will explain why collectivism, why, why actually democracy is a really bad thing. But first of all, uh, I want him to, um, I want him to explain to you. And I've played this before, so sorry for those that have heard it before. This is um, G. Edward Griffin. It's just a, it's not very long, a few minutes, but it's well worth it. It's 18 minutes to seven. It's not easy to define the word collectivism in a few sentences because there are so many aspects to it. But it is easy enough to recognize a few of the major aspects, and you'll recognize it. One of the major aspects of collectivism is that it's based on the principle that the individual must be sacrificed, if necessary, for the greater good of the greater number. You'll find that under all forms of collectivism, whether it be Nazism, Communism, Fascism, Socialism, or Neoconism, or whatever you want to do, all of these forms of collectivism have that fundamental uh, philosophy or ideology beneath it. Now, that sounds pretty good to many people. It sounded good to me when I was in school and learning about the greater good of the greater number. After all, uh, we've been taught that we live in a democracy and therefore the majority should rule and all of these things which sound very good if you don't probe too deeply. And uh, so many people think that that's a good concept. But it's a terrible concept when you, when you follow it to its roots. Because, you see, there's no such thing as a group. A group doesn't really exist. It's, it's all in the mind. Uh, the, the word group is an abstraction. It, it symbolizes in our minds the concept of many individuals.
group does not exist by itself. You cannot touch a group. You can touch individuals only. It's similar to the concept of the word forest. You can look at a forest, you say, well, I'm looking at a forest, but you're not. You're looking at trees. They're only trees. And so the word forest is this abstraction for the concept of many trees. And the same thing is true in social structures. The word group is a very deceptive word. We think that the group somehow has rights. Well, since there is no such thing as a group, we're really dealing with the concept of of many individuals having somehow more rights than uh, than a smaller group of individuals. And so uh, that really, if you follow it all the way to its core, is a question of mathematics. Uh, Collective is is based on the substance uh, that uh, three people um, really have the right to tell two people what to do regardless because there's three against two. And once you boil it down to the issue of mathematics, it falls apart because Human rights are not based on mathematics. Uh, I know we don't have time for a lot of this, but something that just occurred to me this morning when I was thinking about this concept. Uh, they say that the uh, the greater good of the greater number is is accomplished by giving the larger number the right to dictate to the smaller number. But when you think it through, it's just the opposite. Let's suppose that you had uh, uh, four different elements in society. You had a group called uh, red, a group called green, a group that's blue, and then a smaller group that are purple. The red, green, and blue represent different classes or groups of society, and the purple ones are the administrators, the government officials, the police, the courts, and all of the bureaucrats and the politicians that are going to regulate this great society. So you say, well, a group, uh, the first two groups, red and green, uh, decide to take all the property away from blue. And that's certainly for the greatest good of the greater number because red and green is a greater number than blue. So if that's your point, then finally the greater good of society has been served in that uh, equation. But now the next time around, uh, green and blue decide to take away the property of red. And you say, well, in that instance also, the greater good of the greater number has been served. And then finally, to round it out, you get, uh, uh, what did they do, red and green, green and blue. Well, blue and red then get together and take away the property of green. And here again, uh, the greater good of the greater number has been served. But when you stand back and look at the whole process, uh, all of the groups have been plundered by the others. And you might say, well, it all evens out, doesn't it? No, it doesn't, because there's a fourth group, the purple. And every time there's a plundering action going on, the purple wind up with a pretty good share of the action just for their administrative services. And so when you follow it all the way through at the end of this process, all of society has been damaged by this greater good for the greater number concept, you see. The only greater good for the greater number really comes from the concept of individualism. When you deny the majority, to, to take away the rights or the property of the minority. If you hold up the individual as the supreme element in society instead of the group, under that philosophy, under that ideology, now you do actually have the greatest good for the greatest number. He's good, isn't he? G. Edward Griffin. And uh, I think that's taken off the movie The Great Awakening by Mickey Willis. Mickey is spelled M-I-K-K-I. He's the writer and director of The Great Awakening. You can find the link to that on our website at thewireless.nz. Uh, that's the link to that one. And uh, But I think you'll find it out there. It's very, very well worth watching. 
And uh, if you want to know more about smart cities, go over to Counterspin Media. While you're there, give them a donate because they need all the help they can get. And they're doing fabulous work, have done for a good number of years now, at least three. Uh, so give them a donate. You know, hit them hit the, with them. I don't, I don't know. Send them a, a few hundred bucks or something each for each each of them. Why don't you do that? That's a good idea. You can you can spare it. Come on, you waste. How much money do you waste on beer? I bet you some of you have spent between two and four hundred dollars on alcohol a month. Probably more. Eh? Of course you do. So why don't you just don't drink for a month and send that money to Calvin and Hannah? so they can carry on the work. But anyway, go over to there and hit the video one, or if you just want to listen to it, but no, it's best to watch the video on this because the scenes are shocking. And uh, go down and find the, the truth about smart cities, and that's one from uh, Samantha Edwards' reports. Uh, the latest one she did was on Winston. If you'd actually watched that, you probably wouldn't have voted for Winston Peters, but you did, probably because it didn't come out soon enough, but that's that's all right. And then a lot of you, you know, half-wits, you know, I can't believe it, Christian pastors voting for Winston Peters, you know, who bought, who basically allowed his party, allowed the, uh, you know, end-of-life, the extreme end-of-life bill, euthanasia. And it's it's unbelievable. I'm not talking about Asians young people, <laughs> euthanasia, and the other one, um, the, the worst abortion law, the most extreme abortion law, rather, in the world is our country here. And Winnie was involved in that as well, his party. And, you know, and now we're voting for this guy. So they're treacherous, aren't they? They're treacherous. They're all treacherous. You can't trust any of them. So what you need to do is, is come to your senses, and next next year you vote for a company, a part party rather, that's loyal to you. And there's only one. The name is, it's in the name, Loyal, NZ Loyal. And Liz Gunn's the head of that. They started, three, I think it was about 10 weeks out from the election, they, they actually kicked that party off. And they got, I think, over 26,000 votes. So that's not bad. And just to give you an idea, Freedom New Zealand got about 6,000 votes. Some of them didn't even register, you know, on the, on the register scale, you know, on the, on the graph. But uh, Liz Gunn did very well with her party. She's got about 33 uh, candidates and possibly more coming on. But you know what happened? The, they made one little error. Some, someone in, the, in her office made one little error. And usually the Electoral Commission pick up everything. And this time, they, I believe, they purposely let it go through. One of them said three candidates and the other form says 33. And they didn't check to see with you know what you is shouldn't this be thirty three is it thirty three or three they could have done that then we know they found every other thing, but this they let go because they didn't want all those candidates and that was really what um, torpedoed the campaign I believe, and that's why they only got but they still got more than any of the other minor parties way ahead way ahead even though even the umbrella ones and she won't form an umbrella she this is these are the rules they won't form an umbrella with people that don't agree with them. You can't, you can't, light and dark don't go together. You can't have grey areas. And so, and it's hugely well thought out. There's some good minds, good legal minds, and some good uh, accounting minds in behind NZ Law. You wait, they'll be a force to be reckoned with next election. 2026 is going to be their year. Uh, yes, it will be. And hopefully we won't vote another. Like I've said before, if you want to stop all this stuff, like the farmers not being able to farm, the hill country, which is just crazy, having to get imagine that having to get permission from some pen pusher in council before you can run stock on your land that you've just paid for, you know, paid millions of dollars for, and now you find out you you can't. You got to look at it and think, oh gosh, so now we've got to plant it in pine trees, which you know is really bad for the. It's going to be bad for the. It's just bad for the land, pine trees, but that's what they're going to do. 
so you so you can offset the cost of having to but then you know there's just the time and effort so that means you know like um you'd have to chop out all the hill country and you'd only be able to have the flats to farm on and then you just plant pine trees and all that acidity would leach down into your good into your good farming land in the on the flats just hopeless you know you think they'd say well if you plant totra or if you plant something that you can use you know Totra is very good, and they should be farming that. You know, it should be it grows like weeds, especially up in Northland. But you're not allowed to. You, you cut that down. You're not allowed to sell it longer than 300 millimeters, 30 centimeters long. <laughs> it's just crazy. So it's, you, you cut down beautiful wood that could be make could make it. You can put it on cladding uh, because it it doesn't rot. You can put it in the ground, uh, especially some of that heart. You know, it's a good stuff. You can put it in the ground as fence posts. A lot of the places around the country, uh, especially up in Northland, most of the, the big heavy fence posts were made of totra, and some of them were put in, you know, 80 years ago. They're still, still holding up fences. Incredible stuff. And they used to build boats with it as well. But no, they wanted us to put flipping penis radiata, <laughs> whoops, pinus radiata in the ground. Uh, and it's just, it just wrecks the soil. It's just the worst thing you can do. Horrible, horrible tree. And uh, but that's what they want to do, and, and they don't want you actually um, doing anything with it. They just want you to plant this stuff, and then you can offset your carbon, which is just a nonsense. It's just like fairy tale stuff. You get money back, and so what happens is farmers are actually going going into this, and because they're just looking after themselves, they don't care about the country. The ones that fall for it, there's some good farmers that were being interviewed. Now, who was it? Um, I think it was um, yeah, it was Liz Gunn and her team at Free NZ. They interviewed some farmers. I'm not sure whether it was... Oh, no, it was Operation People. They interviewed this farmer, these farmers. Might have been... Might have been um, bo- both have done it. And these people, they're not going to be involved in that carbon credit nonsense because they know that it's bad for the, for the country long term. Very bad. The climate change, change rubbish. It's just absolute rubbish. And I've, I'll tell you what, I've got something on that. Now, there was a couple of things that I wanted you to hear today, and that was Richard Vobes, V-O-B-E-S. Go and see his latest one. Um, have I got time to play that? I think I have. It's eight minutes, though. It's a bit long. We'll do that now while I look for something else on, on the climate change, and we'll come back to it. Here's Vich, Richard Vobes. has got a YouTube channel. I'm Very indebted good. to one Sorry of... about that. Talked over him. Try again. I'm indebted to one of my lovely viewers sending in um, a photograph to my email account and I apologise if I can't get to your emails, by the way. There are so many of them and so many wonderful messages of encouragement and also lots of links to videos that, unfortunately, in my busy life, it's so difficult to get to watch them. And people send in links to videos that are an hour or two hours long. And when you're getting 10 or 12 of these videos, you can imagine you can't actually get anything else done. But I do appreciate the emails. And every now and again, one will inspire me to talk on my monologue. And this was one in which the uh, the correspondent sent the image of a sign on a road. Now, we know what road signs are like, and we've seen the idiocy of these 20-mile-an-hour type signs. And I'm not talking about that. Although why we put up with that, I don't know, when we live in an area that is our area and not necessarily the council's. We know that we live in a system, and the system, unless if we acquiesce to it, if we consent to it, will keep us down. And the answer, of course, is not to be in their system. And this takes me back to this sign. It was a sign for a road, a private road. 
And it said no trespassing. It said do not enter. This is a private road. So what goes on in that road had nothing else to do with the rest of society. It was private. And it struck me, of course, that this is a great way to, as an example of what living in the private really means. We think of ourselves of, as living privately anyway, but actually the minute we go out we're being surveilled. We go into the supermarket now and there's cameras everywhere looking at you, taking your uh, DNA, your biometrics, your thumbprints. Uh, um, they're, they're, they're constantly watching you. You're made to feel as if you are a criminal. What is that camera? Why is that? There's another one over there. And of course, they say, oh, well, shoplifting is rife at the moment, so we have to have all of this. Although actually nobody's challenging the shoplifters. And it seems to me that the police have forgotten what their role is in society. They seem now to be more intent on collecting money uh, rather than actually going around and keeping the peace, like the old constables used to do in the days of Dixon and Doc Green, for those people of a certain age uh, in this area of the, the land that would have recognised that programme, where policing used to be something that we were proud of and keen to have. These days, they're like sharks driving around ready to pounce on you, and they're not your friend. And so this private road, it made me think, yes, those people in that road, OK, they may be rich and perhaps the road isn't part of the, the council. It is a road that's been specially made and houses put on it. But the signage, it's private. What goes on there has got nothing to do with the rest of the place. And it made me think that actually that's what we should do in our own domains, in our own castles, if you like. An Englishman has his castle, that this is a private. My house now has a sign on it saying, private, no trespassing. Why should somebody else from the system have anything to do with me? It doesn't. Now, there may be the question that we've all perhaps learning that actually when you buy a property, you're not even buying the land. It's freehold and it's still supposedly uh, is owned by the crown. And that in theory, in theory, that if all else fails, they can still repossess your home and take it away from you. But I would argue that that's not the case. Who gives the crown the right to the land in the first place, as I've mentioned before. You know, just because you've got thugs with sticks and you invade a land like the Normans did, coming over and uh, saying, well, actually, we'll have it and we'll make a record of it in the Doomsday Book and therefore we can prove that it's ours. That's no proof. The creator, whatever that is, that created the earth, didn't say to man, this man can own more than this man. Of course not. Of course that didn't happen. So our little domain must remain private and outside of the system, somewhere where we can feel secure and safe and be able to defend our property, especially if you've spent, as many of us have, a long time paying back a bank that actually materialised the money that they lent to us out of thin air that didn't even exist and we've paid back not only three times the value of the property with interest, 
that we have paid back money that didn't even list, exist to begin with. In fact, we generated it the moment we signed the mortgage agreement. And we gave them the money and they gave it back to us and we paid it back with interest. Ridiculous scenario. So our little boxes that we live in, these little ticky-tacky boxes that we call our own, must remain private and have nothing more to do with the state, that they cannot come in and we can shut the doors. And unless we give them permission, unless we consent and allow them, we give them jurisdiction, unless we do that, then we remain in private, no trespassing. And we should put those notices up. We should make a point of that and say, no, this is, you can't have access to this. You can't come and kick the door down and put on a smart meter on my wall, generating Wi-Fi that's bad for my health. I don't want it, thank you very much. You can't come in willy-nilly. The key, of course, having told them at the, at the threshold of your property, of the boundary of your property, that this is private and there is no trespassing, is then never to give away your name, this legal fiction name, the name that you appear in capitalization on those bills. When somebody comes a knocking and says, oh, you haven't paid the bill, are you Mr. or Mrs. so-and-so, so-and-so? Don't answer. Don't ask them a question. Who are you? Why do you want to know? What business is it of yours? But never tell them yes or no. Do not admit to being something you're not. Why should you? You're not this legal fiction on a bit of paper, this character that's been written for you when you were born, this act, this act, this, this fictional rubbish that you are supposed to be. If they can't get jurisdiction from you, if they can't get you, a living man, an unnamed spiritual entity in a body of flesh and blood, if they can't get you to confess to being this, this piece of legal fiction, the capitalization of a name, then they cannot get jurisdiction. Don't answer the questions, just ask them questions and be happy to shut the door. Claim your right. You don't need to ask for your right. Just tell them, my right, I am rebutting the presumptions that you have made and I claim the right and I'm asserting the right to remain silent and I am no longer talking with you. Thank you for coming to the door, but this is private property. Clear off and shut the door. If they don't know who you are and you, they don't get you to say, yes, I am this legal fiction, they can't touch you. Okay, we are going to listen to the rest of that right after the news with TNT Radio, coming up right now. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Ursula von der Leyen has been issued a stark warning over the future of the euro as the German economy continues to suffer a downturn. The Business Europe lobby will today urge political leaders to put competitiveness at the forefront. This comes as the finance ministers of countries that have adopted the euro today meet to discuss the economic situation in the eurozone. They are expected to say Europe's declining attractiveness for investment needs to be addressed, warning that having a strong economy is necessary to defend our European way of life and European interests abroad. It's expected they will demand the EU makes a change from five years of rising state intervention in the economy, which led to a marked increase in public expenditure. The German economy shrank in the third quarter of 2023, increasing concerns that the EU's largest economy is heading for a recession. 
Ivanka Trump took the stand in the Manhattan courtroom to testify as New York State's final witness in the blockbuster fraud trial in which her ex-president father, Donald Trump, and brothers Don Jr. and Eric, as well as the Trump Organization, stand accused of a decades-long scheme. Ivanka Trump remained polite and composed during questioning by AG lawyer Louis Solomon, but the former first daughter said, I don't recall, to at least a dozen questions. She's claimed not to remember details about financial transactions and meetings with bankers dating back as far as 2011. Attorney General Letitia James's civil case accuses the ex-commander-in-chief of grossly exaggerating his net worth by as much as $3.6 billion a year to save millions on bank loans and insurance. Fox News legal editor Kerry Urban. Why is Letitia James, the attorney general, there every day? Oh, Brian, it is so inappropriate and so highly unusual. Attorneys general do not attend trials. They just don't. The fact that she is going every day on the taxpayer's dime, putting aside every, every other thing that she has to do to sit there in the front row, to smile after she campaigned on going against Donald Trump, it's to be in the shot, it's to make statements to the press, and just further bolsters the widespread frustration that this is a political witch hunt. After Ivanka testifies, then it's time for the defense, correct? Mm -hmm. So we'll see the president again, will we see the sons, and what was going to be their approach? Yeah, I, well, they're going to obviously defend themselves because their ability to make a living in New York, and not just in New York, but elsewhere, is on the line. And that's why this case is so upsetting on so many levels. One, the law in New York State has never been applied in this way against someone without a crime. There, It just hasn't. And so this is unprecedented. But they're going after Trump and his family um, and with their future, really, and their ability to make a living on the line. Joe Biden has a huge problem. He's being challenged from his right and his left as fissures deepen in the Democratic coalition. Independents will decide the election once again. Right now, polls suggest that Biden would lose if the election were held today. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen predicts this election is going to be very close. From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. Okay, it's four minutes past seven, and I just want to finish off that wasn't an interview. It was, uh, it was Richard Vobes uh, having a bit of a monologue, but it's very good, wasn't it? I like him. Uh, you can catch him on YouTube. He's very careful what he says on YouTube <laughs> so he doesn't get cut off. Smart dresser. He's, he's great. So look him up, Richard Vobes, V-O-B-E-S. And uh, he does some very interesting things, especially about this living man stuff. I find that quite fascinating. So we'll just, I'll just go back and we'll just catch the tail end of that. I'll just take it back a few uh, seconds so you can follow on from where we're talking. It's, he says, tell them it's private. I like that. Uh, whoops, hang on. If I'm going to do this, I need to just, I'll just cut it back. And I, do you need to put the volume up? Oh, yes, you do too. All right, here we go. My right, I am rebutting the presumptions that you have made, and I claim the right, and I'm asserting the right to remain silent, and I am no longer talking with you. Thank you for coming to the door, but this is private property. Clear off and shut the door. If they don't know who you are and you, they don't get you to say, yes, I am this legal fiction, they can't touch you. Put your private signs up like these private roads do. Thank you to the viewer who uh, sent this on to me. We're all learning how to deal with the system, the system that is there to corrupt us and to, to take our money and to take our energy. We don't want it, thank you very much. We don't need it. That system is withering on the vine and we are slowly and surely understanding and getting the information and slowly it will go. 
So keep watching the channel for we will put more of these messages of how you can get rid of that system and finally be free once more. Excellent. Richard Vibe. So look him up and have a, have a look at his videos. Very entertaining. I like him a lot. Uh, his daughter's actually over in New Zealand. She's working, I think she's working in the health industry. She had to get jabbed. She didn't want to. He was very against that. But of course, you know, he didn't, couldn't tell his daughter what to, to do. She's 35 years old. But um, he's very angry with Ardern because she's just gone off and done something else. But, you know, the, and his, his daughter, he knows that long term it's going to have a terrible effect. People don't realise just how bad this thing is. And people are also, the, the, the facts are being covered up. The all-cause mortality rate says that this jab has caused serious, this COVID-19 so-called vaccine, this mRNA, this experimental biological agent that they've forced upon New Zealanders, in fact, people all over the world, forced upon us, uh, is killing us. And if it doesn't kill you straight away, it'll shorten your life. And that's it. And I think it's all part of the plan to reduce the population. It's all just one of the, one of the arrows in the quiver you know, war, like I said before, if you've just come in, war, they, these are the things they're using. You know, they're, they're using disease by injecting it into you, uh, which, which just makes, you know, things like cancer just like makes them angry. And so we've got turbo cancers now. That, we never had turbo cancers until the, the vaccine, until that happened, the vaccine. I better get in the habit of saying vaccine because if I do go out on the other channels, um, I've got to be careful. I get wiped off. Okay, let's look at the short forecast and then we'll come back to, um, what's his name now? Um, I've got him here. His name is, uh, where is he? Oh, Piers Corbyn. Yes, well, I've got him ready to go. Um, we'll hear from, oh, I, have him, I had him there anyway, so what are you doing, Edwards? Oh, I don't know, what are you doing? Uh, let's put him up there. I'll put him up there so I don't forget. That's what we'll do. There we go. And then we'll have a look at the weather. Um, I don't know, what's it going to be? Uh, I like the new one, actually. I like um, the one from weatherwatch.co.nz. I think I might just go for them. Um, well, we can have a look at the extremes. I've got to look at both. So the extremes right now, um, according to, we've managed to get Met Service back up on track again. And they say that the extremes right now, I'll just do a quick refresh on that. And we'll come back to what the extremes are. So we've got a, a southwesterly airflow and it lies over the country today. And it's moving around a large high in the Tasman Sea. Now, most regions are going to have some cloud, some showers. And uh, it's mainly going to be in the South Island, though, especially inland areas are going to have that. For Northland and Auckland, Waikato and the Bay of Plenty, you've got a mix of sun and cloud. I like the way it's written. A chance of an isolated shower. Becoming mostly cloudy for the Bay of Plenty in the afternoon with isolated showers late afternoon and evening. And then you've got a chance of heavy falls as well. You've got southwesterly winds for most of, most of the day. And then you've got some northerlies, though, about the Bay of Plenty. The temperatures today between 18 and 20 degrees is the high for that area, North and Auckland, Waikato and the Bay of Plenty. For the Western North Island, including the Central High Country, you've got a mix of sun and cloud, a chance of an isolated shower in the afternoon, sort of more late afternoon and early evening, and that's mainly inland. And then you've got southerlies tending southeast later in the day with uh, temperatures ranging from between 12 and 17 degrees depending on where you are. For the eastern North Island, partly cloudy, a few showers for Mahia Peninsula and coastal Gisborne near, that's going to clear in the morning though, and then late afternoon or evening a few isolated showers spread off the ranges and uh, you've got southerlies picking up uh, in the morning as it goes on. A high today of around 16 to 18 degrees. In Wellington, partly cloudy, you've got showers, a chance of a shower or two, mainly later in the day, southerly winds, 14 to 15 degrees is your high. Highs um, for Marlborough and Nelson, mostly cloudy with a few showers. Uh, some may become heavy in the afternoon 
in the foothills, round about the foothills, in the ranges, and then easing in the evening. You've got cloud breaks away from Nelson at the at night, though. Uh, sorry, the cloud breaks. It breaks away. Uh, just a funny way they wrote it. Light winds tending onshore. Southerlies uh, push through later in the day. Temperature around about 14, 15 degrees. In Canterbury, mostly cloudy. Had a beautiful day yesterday, didn't you? Oh, yes, we did actually, Grant, yes. Um, we've got a not so good today. Well, it's all right, but mostly cloudy. So it's good if you're outside working, got a bit of cloud on your noggin, especially if you're balding. Um... <laughs> What have you got? You've got also you've got some uh, your coastal areas. They're going to have some sun, but also there'll be some showers developing in the afternoon, especially inland. And you're going to have southerlies freshening, and cloud eventually thickens up about the coast. So it's probably going to rain overnight. Temperatures today for you: fourteen to seventeen degrees on the west coast. It's going to be sunny for Fiordland and, and with some southerlies. Further north, expect partly cloudy skies with a few isolated showers and light winds. You've got uh, showers, may become heavy about the ranges in the afternoon and on the west coast, and that's going to be mainly for Buller, and then it's clearing later in the evening. 16 to 19 degrees for you today, it's quite warm, isn't it? Uh, for Southland and Otago, a few showers for Southland and Otago. Uh, it's going to be thinning out in the afternoon with sunny areas increasing. Any remaining showers, they're going to clear by the evening. Central Otago may have some morning sun and then a few showers in the afternoon. It's going to be clearing in the evening, though, so just just in the afternoon. And you've got south to southwesterly winds, 13 to 17 degrees. Right now, the extremes for the country, temperature-wise, and you know, wind and rain, that sort of thing, uh, Auckland Manukau has the highest temperature right at the moment, 13.2 degrees, and Tianau has the lowest with 2.1, quite cool, cool down there. I don't know why I call Nugent Point, Nugget Point, Nugent Point, I've been doing, I did it there, didn't even look at it probably, I, I don't know why I thought it was Nugent, but it's Nugget. Anyway, Nugget Point, 28 kilometres per hour there, wherever Nugget Point is, do you know where it is? Eh? I mean, maybe you do. Um, now that's up on the west coast, isn't it? You're, you're from there, aren't you, Digger? Yeah, I'm from there. Well, it's 0.4 millimetres of rain there. It's be a bit wet. Oh, that's wet. Okay, and so there we are. That's the weather. And let's just go over to Piers Corbin. No relation to um, Piers Morgan. And he's, he's a climate change expert. The smog-filled cities and poor harvest are being seen by some environmentalists as signs of climate change. Let's now cross live to London to discuss this with Piers Corbyn. He's an astrophysicist Hello. and also founder of Weather Action. Uh, good to have you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us live there in London. So what we're seeing here is a drastic change in climate, aren't we? Well, climate has always been changing, uh, but this has nothing to do with man. In fact, we predicted that there would be extreme heat in uh, East Europe and Russia this uh, summer. And uh, it's caused by a certain circulation pattern. CO2 does not cause circulation patterns. What causes those is a combination of solar activity and uh, the state of the, the phases of the moon. But hang on, Piers, uh, wait, wait, fact, excuse me, just a minute. You say this isn't caused by man. How come they're reporting this heat wave is recognised as the worst in the thousand years of recorded history in well, Russia? Well, and surely well, of course, man has got something to do with this, hasn't he? No, nothing to do with it. The only, the only connection is man is here at the same time as the sun and the moon are doing things. Um, you see, a very similar situation happened about 132 years ago, where there was the same sun, earth, lunar, magnetic states. Um, there was uh, heat waves in Russia, and there were also floods in Pakistan, as now. And in the previous few years, there was also uh, floods in the English summers, uh, also 132 years ago. So these things are 
dictated by solar activity in the moon. They're nothing to do with mankind and those who say that are just trying to make money out but, of carbon. But, but, but are we not going to see this? Like. Are we not going to see this again next year, the year on? I mean, it's only well, it's quite recent. That that's are, a very interesting question. These things do come in bursts, and we're working on that very question, those forecasts. We did say there would be a series of wet summers in England, for example, uh, which we've had. Now, will there be a series of these very hot, hot summers in, in Russia? We don't know. We have to work on that. But I assure you, it's nothing to do with carbon dioxide. And if you stop, stop driving around Moscow, it won't affect next summer one job. Well, how come then so many climate change scientists uh, disagree with you <laughs> and they get so much support well, for what the, they say? They're on a gravy train, for heaven's sake. That's right, they're on a gravy train. That is Piers Corbyn. I think he's, his brother was a Prime Minister, wasn't he? Or Member of Parliament anyway, as far as I know. So that's him, and uh, so that's my lot for the day. And uh, so, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock, bright and early. Now, if you're listening, if you're watching, uh, if you're on Rumble or YouTube or uh, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, however you are watching this, listening, I should say, um, you'll need to go over now. You'll need to go over to Xeno uh, FM or one of the other links there. If you just look in the description wherever you are, I've got all the links you can choose now because we're going now back to the wireless uh, right now to hear uh, today's best country. Yes, today's best country. And we're playing the best, the very, very best. Don't you worry about that. So I'll get rid of Piers. And uh, how do I get rid of him? I've got to cancel him. I've got Ben Shapiro coming up. And then straight after that, we'll be going back to our normal transmission, which is 24-7, usually, except when I come on on five days a week um, here. Uh, but we're going back to country music. Today's best country, too, by the, none, none other than today's best country. Now, uh, so just click on one of the links and you can go over there now because uh, I'm going to chop you off in a minute after Ben Shapiro who's coming up next it's uh, 15, 16 minutes past uh, 7 o'clock and that's my lot and uh, thank you very much for listening and I'll hopefully see you tomorrow morning um, What I had some other things I was going to tell you about I just didn't get time to talk too much um, Malcolm Roberts, that was very good he's uh, concerned, in fact I wonder if I should just we should just hear, oh, it might be too late I might have got rid of him already have I got rid of you, Mr. Roberts? Let me see. Um, Malcolm Roberts. Uh, he, he actually just come out and said something about Islamic, the problems that we've got with having all these Muslims in the country. And, you know, people say, oh, oh that's, you know, what do you call it? Um, xenophobic. No, there's another word for it. What's the, what is it when, you don't, when you're not so keen on Islamic people? Islamophobic. Yes. Well, I am too. I'm a bit gun shy. <laughs> Because <laughs> you don't know who's, you know, who's who's actually a um, a terrorist amongst them, and you know they're calling for jihad, aren't they, all over the world now? Especially after after the um, the terrorists came into uh, Israeli uh, Israel's soil, murdered fourteen hundred of them, took about two hundred and forty hostage. And, uh, and, of course, Israel's not allowed to defend itself. And, you know, people like Patrick Henningsen from TNT Radio thinks that, that legally they're not allowed to defend themselves. Well, they certainly are. And Israel should never have given back that Gaza Strip anyway. Uh, they gave them northern Gaza uh, in 2005. They gave it to them. And what did they do? Within a year, they, they voted in a terrorist organization, Hamas. 80% of, they had 80% support. So that means most people living in Gaza are actually pro-terrorist. And in their charter, the Hamas charter, is to, to kill all the Jews, to get rid of them all. And it's the same with the Roman Catholic Church. They're, the reason why they invented Islam in the first place, back when it started, when Fatima took the books that were written by the Roman Catholic cardinals, uh, into uh, to Muhammad there, um, 
it was designed to to capture all the children of Ishmael, the Arab, the father of the Arabs. And they were going to use the Arabs because they know they're a bloodthirsty lot. They were going to use them to murder Jews and the real Bible Christians, the real Christians, you know, the, the New Testament Christians, not the pagan ones, the Roman Catholic pagan ones. They wanted to get rid of them. And in the 15th century, um, round about the time just before the Protestant um, the, the, in the UK, the, the Reformation of the United Kingdom, which came about, you know, just sort of uh, with the, uh, Elizabeth I, I suppose she'd be the beginning of it, and that was before the King James Bible was written, uh, they would burn you at the stake if you had a, were caught with a portion of Scripture or if you didn't believe that nonsense, you know, that abomination, abominable uh, doctrine of transubstantiation, which means they believe, the, the Roman Catholics believe, they're actually cannibals, because they actually believe that the priest can magically turn the bread and the wine into the blood and the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they keep sacrificing him over and over again. You would think that if God's going to do a work, he would do it once and for all, wouldn't you? Well, that's what the Bible says. He died once and for all. Once and for all. Words have meanings, Mr. Roman and Mrs. Roman Catholic. They do have meanings, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> they, all, they all call their kids by names like Peter, Paul, Mary, and Joseph, don't they? John and Mary, not John. Not so much John. That's more Church of England. It's Peter, usually, and they name after St. Peter. There's no evidence St. Peter even went to Rome, and he was married. <laughs> he, had, he had a wife. At least one. Anyway, so they, they are, the whole idea of the Roman Catholic Church was they wanted to destroy the Jews as well. That's why Hitler was basically just following uh, Roman Catholic orders to kill all the Jews. And Hitler, when he was over there talking to Hassini, oh, I mistakenly made a mistake. One of our listeners let me know, um, John, he let me know that I must have said World War Two when Allenby uh, took off the Ottomans. Uh, it was actually World War One. I. I knew it was 1917, and then the Poms gave it to gave it back to the rightful owners, which are the Israelis. They gave it back to the Jews who'd been scattered right throughout Europe, the Ashkenazi Jews and others. It's their land. There was promised. They were promised it in the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, then you're in big trouble. Uh, it says that God will gather the, his people, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Abraham and Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The 12 tribes of Israel were scattered right throughout the world. He says, I'll gather you from amongst the nations where I've scattered you, from the four corners of the earth. I'll put hooks in your nose and draw you back into the land, from the diaspora back into the land which I promised your forebears, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of them. And you say, that's what's happened. It's a miracle. That is exactly what's going on right now. And they're going to be there and they're going to be, uh, you know, and then when Jesus Christ returns, he will return, first of all, in the heavens and meet us in the air. We will be caught up together with those that have passed away, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will rise first. We will change. We'll be caught up in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll have the judgment seat of Christ, then the marriage supper of the Lamb. While that's going on, there's going to be all hell breaking loose on earth because there's not going to be any Christians around to stop the nonsense that's going on. There'll just be Roman Catholics, <laughs> unsaved Roman Catholics, and all the cults will still be here. You know, all the Seventh-day Adventists will still be here. You know, they'll have the mark of the beast because they don't realize that it's not Sunday worship. It's actually a mark in the hand and in the forehead, just like the Bible says in Revelation 13. They just don't know. They can't understand plain English. Why? Because they, they're mental cases. Most of them are vegan, so their brains are starving of proper protein. So they're not eating properly. <laughs> and they listen to a woman. They listen to a 19th century plagiarist and false prophet, Ellen G. White. And then you've got the Mormons who believe that Jesus and the devil are brothers. 
Or they say it's spirit brothers. Well, it's still brothers. And the Bible says no. No, he's not an angel. He's not. Definitely not. So, you know, so the Bible, they just go against it. and they, So they're following another, another Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. Same with the Mormons, who I just said, the Latter-day Saints, they call themselves. Um, then you've got the Jehovah's Witness, who do not believe that when Jesus said, I am he, he said it in Exodus chapter 3. That was Jesus speaking to Moses back then, I hope you realize. God himself in human form. Jesus Christ is God. He's the image of God. He came to earth and laid down his life for us. Unbelievable. He would do that. Why would he do that? Because we've broken the laws. So the judge who's convicted us of breaking the laws came down from his, um, from his throne, or you know, if you're in a court of law, and he's gone down to the bailiff's office and he's paid the fine for us on our behalf. He's purchased us back because, we've, because our sin, our sin uh, has made us lawbreakers, but God is so just and so righteous and yet so long, long-suffering and so loving. The Bible says, for God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. Now, what is that? That is God himself in human form. He became one of us. It says, a body hast thou prepared me. A body hast thou prepared thee, I think it says. And so God prepared this body. That's Jesus Christ. Came to earth and, and died a perfect offering, a lamb of God, without spot or blemish. He did it for us so that we could be saved. And yet the Seventh-day Adventists say you've got to carry on keeping the Ten Commandments. You've got to carry on doing that. And if you break it, you've, you're lost. Now, well, why do, we have, why do we have an advocate then? The Bible says if, you, if we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who pleads on our behalf. And so it's just nonsense. So we've got the Savior who saved us from our sins, and then now we're back working for them again. It's a crazy religion, and it is just total religion. It's the most dangerous cult of all because it's so close to the truth. They believe in Jesus, but then they put you back under the law again. But we've got a new will and testament. That's what it's called. It's the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. It's so powerful and so precious that it can wash away all, and so pure, that it can wash away all of our sins if we believe he died for us. If you don't believe he died for you, there's no hope for you. The, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you can't do works to get to heaven. You can't earn your way there on the installment plan by paying some pedophile in a confessional uh, to you know, to do it, do a mass for you, to forgive you of your of murdering your 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 wife or something. I mean, the Roman Catholic is a fantastic religion. You can just go out and <laughs> do whatever you like. You could be, like I said yesterday, you can be Al Capone or whatever, and then you just oh, don't worry about it, mate. You just go down and get to some old pedophile to to um to bless you and forgive you, who has who needs forgiving himself. The old drunken pedophile, most of them, smoking and drinking. And, you know, drunkards and pedophiles, a lot of them are. It is full of it. Why? Because it came from ancient Babylon, where they had vestral virgins who were basically whores that they could just go and shag whenever they liked. That was, a, that, that was, what, the, that was what the vestral virgins were. They were the nuns. They're basically today's nuns. And my father said that when he was in Italy during the Second World War, there was pregnant nuns running around <laughs> over the wall, apparently. Some of the blokes had seen these pregnant nuns. Well, who got them up the duff? Well, who do you think? If you take the natural... <laughs> the reason why there's more prostitutes in Vatican City is because there's more um, celibates. That's why. 
You know, it's got the highest crime rate per head per capita than any other city in the world, the Vatican. It's just full of pickpockets. It's just the highest. Why is that? Because you can go to church on Sunday and you can pay a bit of some of the, your, your proceeds from the, um, from the pickpocketing and give it to the priest and he'll absolve you from your sin. It's called buying your way to heaven on the installment plan. And Martin Luther, who started the European, the, you know, the German Martin Luther, not that, not that um, fraud of a Martin Luther king, but the German you know, 16th century, um, the beginning of the Reformation, he was a Roman Catholic Martin Luther, and he realized by reading the, the book of Romans, he said, what they're teaching us here is rubbish. And it was basically that you, you could buy your way to heaven by just giving money. Well, I mean, don't insult God. Don't insult the creator of heaven and earth by paying money to get off your corruption. You know, it's just nuts. You know, so no, it's, uh, the Bible's pretty clear. It says that it's by faith, that we shall live by faith. And if you don't believe, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, you can't be saved. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, Yahweh, except you believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And that was in context, he was saying, they, he said to him before, this is what Jesus said to these Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. That's what he said. He was saying he was God. That's why they wanted to pick up stones and stone him to death. But he just slipped away. Because he was saying that he is God. Before Abraham was, I am. And then they said, what? You're not even 50 years old. And you say that you've, you've seen Abraham? And that's right. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, what? You're not even 50. And you say you've seen him. He said, yeah, but before Abraham was, I am, and that's when they got very angry. I think that was in John. You think you find it in John 8 or somewhere around there. But if you think those words, I am, is exactly what um, God said to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. He said, who shall I say sent me, Lord? And, And God said to him, out of the burning bush, he said, tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. And Jesus said the same. So that was Jesus in the burning bush. He is God. And if you don't get that, you can't be saved. If you think that Jesus is some other God, or is, you know, the Son of God is another God, if you can't believe in the triunity, which God's given us so many examples of, the egg with the shell and the white and the yolk and the time, space and matter, and there's just so many things, you know, three-leaf clover, there's just so many things, a three-four-five method when you want to get a square on a building, triangles. There's so many things that God has given us as three in one, and that's what God is. He's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and these three are one. First John 5, 7, removed from new versions. Not all, but many. They call it the Johannine comma. The corrupt New World translation that the Jehovah's Witness do, gosh, they're keen though, they put in a lot of work, but they're wrong. They're a false cult, they'll lead you to hell. Because Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Except you believe that I am God, he may as well have said, you'll die in your sins. He says the Father and the Son are one. Words have meanings. Can't you understand that? Why are you listening to other people telling you what the Bible says instead of reading it for yourself? I just cannot believe it. There shouldn't be any Roman Catholics. If they all read the Bible, you have to look. To become a Roman Catholic, you've got to use your brains, right, don't you? You have to actually make a, make a decision, use your, the faculty that you've got. And then once you get there, you're supposed to jettison that and just do what they tell you. You're listening to pedophiles and you know perverts and um, drunks and you know 
these are the people that are the priests and you know the, I think the nuns do a bit better job than the priests do and it's just full of corruption and you're, you're, to, you're to jettison your mind and listen to that so it's, that's the fatal flaw of Roman Catholicism actually you've got to use your brain to become one then once you become one you jettison it <laughs> you just do what they tell you it's a bit like all the doctors that when COVID happened well, they jettisoned their you know years of practical experience, their practice and their experience and their training, and they listened to it. This bitch that was up on the—that's what she was. She was a bloody bitch right up there, talking to you every day, telling you that you've got to stay home, you're not allowed to talk to your neighbour, and you have to get vaccinated. And if you don't get vaccinated, you're not going to enjoy yourself very much. She said. I'll tell you what she said. I'll say it. I'll I'll quote her. She said, Comrade Ardern, she said, anyone who is not vaccinated right now will not be able to enjoy the freedoms of other New Zealanders. Comrade Ardern, Friday, 22nd of October, 2021. That's what she said. And now she's gone and left us. And now we know, and they're all running, aren't they? Ashley Bloomfield, they've all, they've all taken off. They've left. They've deserted us. I wish the Wangamininga Maori government actually really did have some teeth instead of just being a Maori invention, just a Maori cuckoo land. It's just fairy tales. But I wish that they did have some teeth. Hell, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to be um, governed by them. Can you imagine that, going back to tribal law? Gosh, they could just decide, are oh, we going to bring back eating white people? Because <laughs> that's, major- that's what a majority rule is. That's what democracy is. Without a constitution, a democracy could say, right, we're going to, um, we got Maoris are going to control the place. We've got more Mar- We get more more votes than the whiteies do because we run the place. And from now on, we're going to make bring back cannibalism because it tastes like chicken. It's absolutely delicious, and we want to bring it back in. So if the majority vote for that. You can get away with it because it's the majority rule. That's what democracy is without a constitution. But if you've got a constitution which governs the government, limited government, so they're limited by, by that constitution as to what they can pass. That's what Liz Gunn is going to bring in with New Zealand loyal so that we're not able to. It'll be very similar to the American constitution and we'll all, we will all be able to defend ourselves properly like they can in most states. They're trying to get rid of the constitution over there because they're a pack of evil communists that are running America at the moment globalist communists anyway I've gone over so we're sorry about that and I've got angry I try not to I try to be nice <laughs> be nice Grant my daughter says I don't like listening to you when you go and get on those rants and you, you're not nice I like it when you're funny and just you know have a bit of a joke about things and I should it's you know it's got I, you know okay I'm out of here and so Lord willing I'll see you tomorrow here's Ben Shapiro and then we're back to the wireless so like I said just click on the link if you want to hear some really good country music we play today's best country um I'll see you tomorrow so somebody said Nick used to be involved in counterterrorism. how would you describe what's going on in the Middle East right now well in technical military terms Hamas is engaged in effing around and the IDF is about to make sure that they find out which will inevitably cause the UN and a bunch of countries that aren't currently being attacked by Hamas to tell everyone to calm down the problem is with terrorists if the calming down takes place before the finding out takes place they continue to eff around because there's no consequence for it so what really needs to happen now is that the IDF needs to make sure that the terrorists in Hamas find out and I mean find out in a way that will prevent them from ever effing around again and that's a special kind of finding out that I really hope Israel makes good on that is correct that is obviously correct that's why all the calls for a ceasefire right now are not only idiotic they're incredibly dangerous and they support Hamas the wireless today's best country 